A full moon hangs in the night sky. It illuminates a foggy neighborhood. Parked in the driveway of a massive 1880s Victorian-esque house is a black 1976 Firebird Trans Am. An on-screen title reads, Gamma Psi Zeta, 1977, Creek Hill University. Just then, a mysterious culprit appears with a four-way lug nut wrench. He begins to quickly remove the lug nuts from the Trans Am's front driver side wheel. His hand bears a large class ring. On the back porch of the frat house, another pair of hands puncture a series of kegs with a screwdriver. Beer pours out. Back at the front, as the culprit finishes off the last lug nut, a flyer blows by and flattens against the wrench. He smooths the paper out to show what it reads. Battle of the Frats, Gamma Psi versus New Delta. The culprit crinkles the paper up and runs off, just as the front door bursts open. 70s rock music pours out of the house, along with Pete, a dreamy cocksure jock sporting a college letterman jacket. Around his waist is an enormous WWE-style championship belt. Engraved on its gold centerpiece are two beer bottles in an X formation separated by a big versus. Pete forcefully pushes two nerdy freshmen out of the house. Nerds will never be allowed in Gamma Psi for as long as I'm alive. Now get the hell out of here! As the freshmen stomp off, a group of hippies also exit the house. Pete races off the porch and jumps in front of them. Whoa, whoa! Uh, how about we head back inside and get you something to drink, huh? You're, like, all out of beer, man. The hippies laugh and head off. A world-ending daze overcomes Pete. Code keg. Pete bolts back into the house. Inside, the place is packed with partygoers. Pete slithers past them to reach a fireplace in the parlor. He removes the belt from his waist and gingerly positions it on the fireplace mantel. Pete then rushes into the living room to behold another sea of dancing partygoers. He cups his mouth and shouts over the crowd. Code keg! A frat boy, who has his hand on the large chrome globe of a Van de Graaff generator, perks up at the sound of Pete's battle cry. He quickly spreads the news, his hair charged with static electricity. Code keg! The warning is picked up and spread around to the back of the room, where James, a tall, soulful African-American with a picture-perfect afro, mixes away behind a stereophonic disco console. James knows the code well. He reacts quickly. I'll be taking a quick break, ladies and gentlemen. Don't stop feeling that funk. James races upstairs. Moments later, a small crowd surrounds an unmade bed in a bedroom, where Mark, a red-headed fat slob goofball dressed in a kilt with bagpipes, hovers over a passed-out drunk. Mark draws a penis on the drunk's cheek, much to the quiet amusement of the crowd. James skids to a stop at the doorway. Hey, Mark. Code keg. Mark hands off the marker and runs out of the room behind James. After a beat, Mark then steps back into the room and meets eyes with a cute girl. He bows to her. Sagittarius. He retrieves a thin promotional flyer from his kilt and hands it to her. The flyer features a picture of Mark on a stage, mid-laugh, microphone in hand. 
He's dressed in his Scottish outfit. Mark then plays his way out with his bagpipes. Moments later, the street and sidewalks outside are littered with people. They not only swarm to Gamma Psi's party, but to their neighbors, New Delta Theta. Each house has its fraternity flag proudly strung in its yard. The two parties are neck and neck. This is Battle of the Frats. Outside the Gamma Psi house, Pete approaches his Trans Am when a cop car pulls to a stop at the end of the driveway. Young Officer Gibson winds down the window. Miller? Pete jogs down to the cop car. He looks it over. Not bad. For a pig. Officer Gibson cracks a smile. What are you up to? Ran out of party supplies. You sure you're okay to drive? Gibbs, how long have you known me, huh? There's too much riding on this night to screw it up. Pete turns back for the Trans Am. He jokingly stumbles over the curb on his way up the driveway. Pete? I got this. Officer Gibson shakes his head with a chuckle and drives off. Pete returns to his car from the street. He shouts to the Gamma Psi house. Mark, James, let's move it. Mark, no longer with his bagpipes, and James finally exit the house and hop in the Trans Am. Pete gets in the car as well. It roars to life. New Delta's president, Haywood, and his frat brothers hang out on their porch next door. Haywood twirls around a lug nut wrench. They quietly laugh at Pete, Mark, and James as they watch the boys leave. Hope you've said your goodbyes. After tonight, <laughs> that belt is ours. Dream on, Hollywood. This battle ain't over till the fat lady sings. Mark pokes his head out to Haywood from the back seat. I thought I saw your girlfriend around. Pete cranks up the car stereo, glides out of the driveway, and tears down the street. As the Trans Am powers past the new Delta house, Mark lifts his kilt and moons the frat boys through the rear window. Now at a liquor store, Pete and James hoist a massive keg inside the Trans Am's trunk, while Mark pounds a beer from a six-pack behind them. They slam the trunk closed. Later, Pete drums the steering wheel in excitement. Trees blur past the car as it speeds down the road. This is it, boys. After tonight, whoo, another Miller goes down in Gamma Psi history. Damn, I wish it never had to end. Shit, I can't wait to get out of here. Pete shoots James a glare. I'm just saying, there's more to life than Gamma Psi. Yeah? Like what? Two words. Studio 54, baby. Mark counts on his fingers while Pete scoffs at James. That's three. Right, because you and funny guy back there have some real bright futures. I have all kinds of gigs lined up this summer, thank you very much. People aren't laughing at you because you're funny. Meanwhile, outside the car, the sabotaged tire violently shakes without its lug nuts. It begins to work its way off the car. Being bad is my act. Just ignore Mark. At some point, he's going to have to move on. Finally... The tire gives. It flies off the car, bouncing to the side of the road. Sparks fly as the Trans Am drops down onto the exposed axle. Pete struggles to control it. Just as he strays into the other lane, an oncoming car's headlights pierce through the fog. Pete cranks the wheel to the right. The two cars barely squeeze by each other. 
the Trans Am swerves off the side of the road and drops out of sight. All sounds disappear. The car must be airborne. Suddenly, the weightless silence is followed by the unmistakable sounds of a collision. The Trans Am sits motionless in a deep, narrow gorge with steep sides, populated densely with rocks and trees. The front of the car hugs a thick tree. Smoke belches from the engine into the night sky. All is still. Then, from inside the car, grunts and moans. Pete, Mark and James crawl out, seemingly unharmed. They struggle to their feet and stare at the wrecked sports car. Mark and James are dumbfounded, while Pete is unusually calm. It, it's not that bad. Nothing we can't buff out. Pete swivels around and begins the trek back up to the road. Mark and James share a worried look. Pete? You good? Pete stops. He turns to look down at his fraternity brothers. The full moon drapes a powerful curtain of light upon him. This is our last party, and I'll be damned if I don't continue my father's legacy. Keg or not, we are winning this battle! Mark and James follow Pete back up to the road. Later, it's now early morning. Pete, Mark and James push through the front door of Gamma Psi. They're welcomed by a completely trashed and abandoned house. Pete looks around at everything with a sense of doom. No! He immediately rushes to the parlor and comes to a halt at the entrance. The fireplace mantle is vacant. The belt is nowhere to be seen, and Gamma Psi's fraternity flag lies stomped and defeated on the floor. Pete's face falls, his worst nightmare now a reality. Mark then calls to him from the living room. Pete? Mark and James stand before a television, awestruck. Pete trudges over to see what has put them in such a state. A news broadcast of a fatal car accident plays. A news lady talks on screen with her microphone. Behind her, three body bags lie in a row next to a destroyed Trans Am. The three boys share looks of horrific disbelief. Outside, the beautiful sun-soaked sky quickly darkens. Thunder rumbles in the distance. As darkness falls upon the Gamma Psi house, something begins bleeding towards it. Something large. Something dark. Cut to black. Now a title reads, Present Day, over an aged three-story abandoned building. Inside, debris and fallen ceiling tiles decorate a dark, graffitied hallway. Suddenly, a pair of glowing blue eyes puncture the darkness. They grow larger, seemingly carried down the hall by the sounds of numerous voices, songs, advertisements. Eugene, handsome with that messy hair look, emerges from the shadows. Strapped upon his head are a pair of circular, technologically modified welding goggles, the source of the blue eyes. Eugene also carries a shortwave radio. It scans through dozens of radio stations in rapid succession. Eugene glances behind him and scowls. He brings a walkie-talkie up to his mouth. Guys, keep up! As Eugene continues down the hallway, Jessica and Stanley round the corner behind him. Jessica, concerning. 
more comfortable in a hoodie, examines every crevice of the hallway with a flashlight. Jess, would you cool it with the flashlight? Someone might call the cops. Oh, well then, I really don't think we should be in here. Stanley, lanky, Asperger's, never seen without his Apple AirPods Max headphones, saunters down the creepy hallway as if it's a stroll in the park. On the wall, he notices a piece of vandalism tagged with a phone number. Within seconds, his phone is out and he's dialing. Hello, I'm calling about your offer of a good time. I just have a few questions about what exactly that entails. Eugene lifts his goggles to his forehead and turns to scold Stanley. The second he does, a large silhouette silently glides from one room to another at the end of the hallway. Jessica does a double take. She's the only one to catch this. Stanley, that is for something completely different. Hang up. Stanley pockets his phone, and Eugene continues his march down the hall. Jessica follows closely. Eugene, maybe we should call it a night. There is at least a Class 1 spirit haunting this building. We are not leaving. Eugene stops his friends to fiddle with the radio. Standing in the dark, open doorway beside them, still and composed, is the silhouette. The nerds don't notice a thing. If this stupid radio would work, maybe I could actually communicate with a thing. Jessica does a nervous proximity check when she finally looks at the doorway. Terror transfixes her while Stanley and Eugene continue to troubleshoot the radio. Something's probably wrong with the frequency. Guys. No, it can't be a frequency issue. I've got it set to the strongest one. Guys. What? What? What is it? Jessica points. Eugene and Stanley turn to join her paralyzed stance. The ominous silhouette stands a foot away from them, unmoving. After an excited gulp, Eugene takes Jessica's shaking hand, holding the flashlight, and slowly scans up the figure. They see large red shoes, a baggy, striped onesie, an artificial flower, and finally, a wide, creepy smile on a clown's painted face. Stanley lets out a fake, high-pitched scream, while Jessica's expression tightens, and Eugene goes from amazed to disappointed. Ugh, Rodney! You said you worked late tonight. It's just their friend, Rodney. His smile grows larger. Beep, beep, Richie. Eugene silences his radio. He looks from Rodney to Stanley before throwing his hands in the air. That's why it wasn't working. We were following Rodney the whole time. Oh, I knew it was him from the beginning. I noticed his van pull up outside. Why didn't you say anything? I thought we were looking for ghosts, not Rodney. Eugene lets out a frustrated sigh and walks off. Later that night, the four nerds exit the abandoned building and walk to their vehicles. Parked behind Eugene's beat-up jeep is Rodney's colorful delivery van. Printed on the side is Funhouse Pizzeria. The nerds unload their gear into the back of Eugene's jeep. As they do, Jessica spots something. A reversed, dismantled backpack with a digital timer and shock paddle-looking components on the chest. The afterlife vest. Eugene quickly covers the vest with a blanket, but not fast enough. Why did you bring that? Thought it might come in handy. How? It's literally supposed to kill you. I like to think of it as temporarily lifting the veil. Eugene now rifles through the pages of a small notebook. You are either going to A, die, and I mean like for good, or B, severely damage your brain. I'd only be gone for like two minutes. And technically, the human brain can survive three minutes after death before brain damage occurs. Jessica shoves Stanley. He looks back to Eugene. 
the chances of malfunctioning are very high. Eugene ignores them and continues to flip through his notebook. He finally stops on a page where dozens of addresses have been crossed out. He scribbles over that night's failed location. Only two addresses remain. Eugene points to the first one. All right, let's hit the old Robinson house next. Apparently, at exactly three in the morning, you can hear the sun spirit hang himself. Pass. I'm done breaking and entering. Especially with school starting soon. Jessica climbs into the back of Rodney's van. Stanley follows. You haven't even picked a major yet. Thank you for reminding me. Jessica slams the van door. Eugene then looks to Rodney, who throws his hands in the air, as if to say, Don't look at me. Rodney then hops into the driver's seat of his van. Eugene walks up to the window. Come on, how are none of you fascinated by the paranormal? It's incredible stuff! Jessica leans in toward the window from the back seat. Look, Eugene, it's not that we're not interested. We just haven't found a single thing all summer. I'm telling you, once we find a location with some real activity, then you guys will see. Rodney gives him a small shrug, then drives off, leaving Eugene to watch them go. Later, Eugene carries all the gear from his trunk into his kitchen. He lets everything drop onto the table. Also on the table is a face-down opened envelope. Eugene flips it over. Printed at the top left is a Creek Hill University seal. The letter is addressed to him. Eugene rolls his eyes and crosses over to the fridge. Oh, hey, bud. Mr. Erickson, scrawny, pocket protector. Eugene's probable future happily enters from the living room. He motions towards the letter. Look what came in today. I see. And you opened it. Eugene prepares himself a bowl of cereal. I know, I know. I just couldn't wait any longer. But guess what? You got the scholarship. Eugene gives him a half-assed smile, then plunges a spoonful of cereal into his mouth. Isn't that great news? For you or me? Mr. Erickson cocks his head as if to say, we are not doing this again. It would be a waste to throw this away, Eugene. It'd be more of a waste to do something I don't want to do. Well, I don't see what other choices you have. It's not like you can make money from this little hobby of yours. Eugene quickly gets up and dumps his cereal in the sink. I think I'm just going to head up for the night. Eugene collects his gear and the letter from off the table. Eugene, wait! Night, Dad. Mr. Erickson refrains from making matters worse. He lets Eugene go. Later that night, Eugene sits at a messy computer desk in his room. It looks as if someone has been camped out in a radio shack for years. Eugene stares down at the scholarship letter in front of him, pondering. He then looks to a small picture tacked to a bulletin board above his desk. In the photo, Mrs. Erickson, a heartwarming, beautiful woman in her thirties, is knelt next to a young Eugene on their driveway. Eugene wears a Ghostbusters shirt and carries a backpack. The two of them beam with happiness. Now in a flashback, Mrs. Erickson pulls to a stop in front of an elementary school. Young Eugene sits in the back seat. He stares out at all his classmates as they skip into the building. Can I spend the day with you? I'm sorry, honey, but I have a list of errands I have to run today. Besides, you'll have more fun at school. No, I won't. Everyone thinks I'm weird. You are not weird. They just need more time to get to know you. Now give me a kiss and hurry up. You're going to be late. Eugene kisses Mrs. Erickson on the cheek. He opens the car door and hops out. Bye, Mom. 
Remember, it's never goodbye. I'll be here to pick you up right after school, okay? Have a good day. Eugene nods and shuts the car door. Back to present day, Eugene sighs, tossing the letter in a waste bin under his desk. He then retrieves his small notebook again and flips to the page of addresses. Of the two that remain, Eugene crosses out the first one. Below that, his last hope stares back at him. Eugene gives the address a whirl. His fingers dance along his computer's keyboard before hitting enter. Among hundreds of results, something catches Eugene's eye. A clip from an episode of a popular paranormal investigating TV show. Eugene sits up in his chair and clicks the link. The video plays on his screen. An off-screen cameraman filming in night vision follows an intense investigator through the dark Gamma Psi frat house. The investigator holds out a meter of some sort as he talks to the camera. This device is called an EMF, or electromagnetic field meter. The cameraman gets up close to the device to give the viewers a better look. A small black needle wiggles between zero and one on the scale. Spirits are said to manipulate these fields, so this thing will go off if we're in the presence of one. Okay, I'm going to try and draw it out. Do not try this at home. The investigator steps back and shouts to the wind. I hear you don't like people being in this house, so guess what? We aren't leaving! Suddenly, the EMF meter produces a high-pitched whine. The investigator freaks out and walks around the room frantically. Dude, it's here with us right now. Oh my god, get this, get this. The investigator holds the EMF meter out to the camera. The needle hovers in the red when it abruptly returns to the left. The whining stops. When the investigator pulls the meter back, the cameraman sees a penis has been scratched on the investigator's red cheek. Oh my god, bro! You got scratched! What? Oh yeah, dude! There's a d- on your face! The investigator shouts to his attacker. Did you just scratch me? Did you just scratch a d- on my face? Back on Eugene, a slow smile curls across his lips. The next day, Eugene's Jeep scoots down the street on Frat Row. He slowly drives by large three-story houses. The neighborhood has had a bit of an upgrade since 1977. Moments later, Eugene exits his Jeep parked along the street. He approaches the neglected Gamma Psi X fraternity. It's an eyesore in such a beautiful neighborhood. Reaching vines consume the rotted, imploding structure covering its grungy wooden exterior. Eugene gawks at the house when his phone rings. He frowns at the caller ID that reads, CHU admissions. Back up at the house, Mr. Gibson, a man of commanding presence, appears from the backyard. He retrieves an armful of wooden boards from his truck before disappearing behind the house again. Eugene pockets his phone and follows. Now on the back porch, Mr. Gibson boards up a recently broken window. Eugene steps up to him and clears his throat. Um, excuse me? Are you the owner? Please, leave. Mr. Gibson continues to pound the boards with his hammer. Well, you see, I saw this video about the house and was wondering if I could maybe... I should have never let that damn crew film here. It's brought me nothing but problems. Eugene doesn't take the hint. 
He awkwardly nods. Mr. Gibson gives him a look. The answer's no. Oh, uh, you don't have to worry about problems with me. I've actually been doing stuff like this for a while now, so... Do you even know the story behind this house? What happened? Kinda. Mr. Gibson exhales through his nose and checks his watch. He then subconsciously peers over his shoulder. Eugene follows Mr. Gibson's gaze. A rusted, mangled-to-hell Trans Am sits in the tall, dried grass behind them. As if being beckoned by it, Eugene slowly approaches the car. Whoa. Eugene pokes his head through the window to look inside as Mr. Gibson talks. I was the first responding officer at the scene. It was one of the worst accidents I'd ever see, and I had only been on payroll for a week. Eugene tries to retract his head when the collar of his shirt snags on a piece of broken door trim. It won't let him go. When I approached that car, the first thing I could smell was gasoline, then beer, then blood. Driver was stuck in the windshield while the passenger was thrown from the car. Found him a good 10, 15 feet away. And the poor soul in the back, crushed by a keg, ripped its way right into the cabin. They were just college kids on their way back to win some frat competition. Now, I didn't know the other two boys very well, but Pete, it's a goddamn shame. Mr. Gibson turns and eyeballs the house. It takes him to a sad place. Meanwhile, Eugene squirms. He helplessly tries to pull free from the car's grip. Soon after the accident, I started hearing stories about a new presence in the house. I used to think when someone dies, they're gone. Heaven, hell, what have you. But somehow Pete and those boys are still here. Kamasai's been abandoned ever since. Nobody wants to pledge to a haunted fraternity. Eugene finally tears his shirt away from the car. He falls back onto his ass. So I bought the house to try and help their spirits move on. But as of late, it seems like I'm the only one that truly cares. <sighs> what happens if they don't ever leave? Eugene stares at the Trans Am in front of him. They become lost souls. Mr. Gibson's eyes have turned red and glossy. He turns back to see Eugene still lying in the grass. I'm sorry, kid. The answer's still no. Mr. Gibson begins to mope back to the front of the house. Eugene jumps to his feet. No, 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 wait, wait, please. Everyone that comes through here just wants to catch something on their little cameras. This is personal to me. I want to bring closure to those who have lost someone. I can help you. Mr. Gibson stops. Eugene composes himself with a deep breath. I can help them. Mr. Gibson finally peers back at Eugene with a contemplative squint. Later that day, the nerds sit at a booth in the tacky Funhouse Pizzeria restaurant. It's decorated with Funhouse mirrors and weird carnival furniture. Eugene plops the Gamma Psi house keys down on the table. Jessica looks up from them with a frown. Rodney, now painted as a sad clown, and Stanley sport a more confused expression. Eugene, summer's over. Maybe you should listen to your dad and focus on what's important. 
Like college? No, no, I, I don't think you understand. It's an old frat house. On campus. Eugene lifts his brow. He waits for them to register what he's hinting at. They finally do. Nice. Eugene! Jessica shoves Stanley. Yeah, I still don't get it. My dad'll think I'm going to school. I'll be following my real passion. Everyone wins! Plus, Mr. Gibson said if I can help the spirits move on, he'll pay me. I just might need a little help. <laughs> oh, no, no. You are not dragging us down with you, okay? No offense, but this is the dumbest idea you've ever had. Don't forget about the aftertaste vest that stops his heart after life. Okay, second dumbest. Either way, this is going to blow up in your face and you know it. It's destined to fail. But this is the location we've been looking for. Real activity, remember? You said that about the last three dumps you dragged us to. And now you want to lie to your dad. It would only be for one semester. No, I'm sorry, Eugene, but I cannot do that. And I don't think you should either. Eugene deflates as a balloon pops behind him. Later, Eugene sits cross-legged in front of a quiet grave in the Creek Hill Cemetery. He eats out of a bag of gummy bears. I don't know. What do you think? The tombstone in front of him reads, Mary L. Erickson, beloved wife and mother, 1964 to 2008. That bad, huh? Yeah, I know. It'd be so much easier if Dad were a tad bit more supportive, you know? I just need to prove people are out there who need this kind of help and are willing to pay for it. This job is that proof. I mean, I don't want to lie to him, but... I also don't want to pass up on something like this. I know you're not okay with that, but I hope you understand. Eugene holds up the now-empty bag of gummy bears. He scrunches his guilty face. Sorry. You know, if you want any, you're going to have to speak up. <laughs> I'll bring you another bag next time. Promise. I love you, Mom. Eugene waits for a moment. Finally... He reaches beside him and clicks off his shortwave radio. It's been sitting there this whole time. Later that night, Mr. Erickson rinses dishes in the kitchen sink, then loads them into the dishwasher. He's rough with his actions. After a beat, Eugene ambles in. He notices a plate, glass, and silverware set at the far end of the table, all clean, unmoved. Mr. Erickson begins to put away Eugene's unused dishes. Sorry, Dad, I was, I you know, was out. You know, it absolutely I... kills me seeing you waste your time and talents doing that crap with your friends. Uh, Dad, I... There's no career in hunting things that aren't real. Dad, I know. That's why I was on campus today. Mr. Erickson stops. Eugene gulps. I registered for the fall semester. Mr. Erickson turns. You did? Eugene can't look his father in the eye. His gaze drifts to the floor. Yes, it's... All taken care of. Mr. Erickson pulls Eugene in for a hug. Eugene hesitantly hugs back. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that, buddy. Mr. Erickson steps back from the hug with a gleam in his eye. Electrical engineer, just like your dear old dad. Eugene gives him a thin smile and nods. In his eyes, guilt. The following night, a torrential downpour pounds the spooky Gamasai frat house. Eugene pulls up, and parks in the driveway. He watches the ominous house through the sweeps of his windshield wipers. Moments later, from inside the house, the sound of keys jingle outside the front door, followed by a clank as they drop to the floor. 
The door then creaks open to reveal Eugene bent over on the porch, mid-reach for the house keys. He slowly looks up as the door glides open by itself. A large duffel bag and Eugene's box of gear sit by his feet. Strapped upon his forehead are his modified welding goggles. Eugene steps into the house and closes the door behind him. It's dark. Still. Silent. Eugene feels out the wall for a light switch. He finds one and flips it on. A nearby sconce dangling from the ceiling briefly illuminates before popping. Eugene digs through his box and pulls out a flashlight. He clicks it on and scans his surroundings. Cobwebs hang from the ceiling and corners. Debris is scattered all over the floor. The scummy wallpaper is stained and peeled away from the cracked walls. Eugene pulls his shirt up over his nose in disgust. Eugene's flashlight beam now sweeps the living room. He spies a record player, a dial-up telephone, and furniture covered by dusty white sheets. Eugene sets his box down and pulls out his own EMF meter. He places it on a coffee table. Now in the parlor, Eugene studies a large three-section bookcase. It holds numerous football trophies and pictures of past Gamma Psi presidents. He sets another EMF meter on one of the shelves. Finally, Eugene pulls another EMF meter from his box and places it on the first step of the stairs in the foyer. He's booby-trapping the house. Eugene looks up to the second floor with hesitation. He then slowly ascends the steps. They scream with weakness. Moments later, Eugene tries one of the bedroom's light switches. It actually works. He closes the door behind him and nods. He's found his base camp. From his box, Eugene fishes out his last EMF meter and sets it on a nightstand beside the bed. He then produces the small photo of him and his mother and rests it against the device. Finally, Eugene retrieves his shortwave radio and paces across the room with it. As he tinkers with its dials, the bedroom lights begin to flicker. Distant footsteps slowly make their way down the hallway, growing louder, closer. The wooden floor groans with each step. Eugene goes cold. The EMF meter's needle suddenly spikes into the red. Eugene slowly turns to look. The footsteps come to a stop right outside the bedroom door. The handle turns. The EMF screams. The door silently yawns open. The hallway is empty. The EMF finally goes quiet. After a scared beat, Eugene inches toward the hallway when... Now the EMF on the bottom step of the stairs spikes. Eugene tears out of the room and races down the hallway. As soon as he reaches the stairs, the EMF below goes silent. Eugene stands at the top of the steps, waiting, listening. The EMF in the living room spikes. Eugene immediately rushes down the stairs. Upon Eugene's arrival in the living room, the EMF's whining subsides. Eugene pumps with adrenaline and fear, his breathing shallow and drawn. The white fog of his breath curls into the air as the room's temperature rapidly drops. As he notices this, a distorted, crackly Led Zeppelin song begins to softly play across the room. Eugene looks to the source. It's the old record player. 
a dusty record slowly spins by itself. Eugene cautiously steps closer. He watches the record slow, eventually coming to a complete stop. Eugene stares down at it, puzzled, when... The record spins backward. The song plays in reverse. Horrified, Eugene draws back, putting distance between him and the haunted object. The record spins faster and faster. Eugene backs up and falls over the coffee table. The spinning record grows loud. It creates a demonic rhythm. Eugene's eyes suddenly narrow, focused and determined. He jumps up and knocks the spinning vinyl to the floor. The tense silence returns. You're not getting rid of me that easily! I'm not scared of you! The dial-up telephone rings in response. Eugene's confidence has left the building. The phone continues to ring. Eugene slowly approaches the phone. His shaking hand lifts it to his ear. He listens to a static windstorm. Someone, or something, breathes heavily on the other end. The breathing stops. Eugene gulps. A voice then whispers through the phone. Eugene slides his goggles down over his eyes and powers them on. He slowly turns to look. His mouth gapes at what he sees. Eugene drops the phone and runs like hell. He rips the goggles off his head and flees the house, screaming. The static stops and the dangling phone goes silent. In the background, through the open door, Eugene slips and wipes out on the soaked lawn. The goggles go flying out of his hand. The next day, Jessica, Rodney, now painted as a happy clown, and Stanley hop out of Rodney's van in the Gamasai driveway. Rodney and Stanley stare up at the house. Definitely looks haunted. I'll give them that. This place is no different from the rest. Eugene is just the boy who cried ghost. If that's true, then why do we still show up when he calls? Before Jessica can say anything, Eugene's head pops up in the back of his Jeep. Hey, you're here! Eugene climbs over the passenger seat, then bounces out of the Jeep with excitement. Jessica's nose wrinkles at his mud-covered clothes. Ugh, what happened to you? You are not gonna believe the night I had- A football suddenly beams Eugene in the back of the head. Oh yo, heads up! Trevor, a worthy Abercrombie model, jogs over to retrieve the football. Next door, at the new Delta house, Generic frat boys Zippy, Valentine, Armpit, Woody, and Flipper snort at their leader. They lean against a large battle of the frat's elimination board that's staked in their yard. Ah, sorry bro, I didn't see you there. Understandable. I noticed you were here last night. What, uh, what do you think you're doing? He's looking for ghosts. I'm just moving in! Jessica shoves Stanley. Trevor straightens up, alarmed. Really? So, you met with the Greek council. Dude, he's not Greek. Trevor's cronies snicker at Rodney's getup. Hey, Trevor, check out his van. Didn't know the circus was in town. The new Delta boys all laugh. <laughs> Rodney fires back at them. Yo, guys, look, it's the Backstreet Boys. Watch it, clown boy. Don't you have deliveries to make or something? Oh, yeah, that reminds me. Your mom just made an order. Rodney grabs his crotch. 
with extra sausage. What did you say? Trevor aggressively stalks toward Rodney. His cronies have also suddenly appeared behind him. Rodney outstretches his arms as if to say, Come at me, bro. Eugene quickly puts himself between the two boys. We, we don't want any trouble. Then I suggest you keep Gamma Psi where it belongs. Barry. Understood? I understand, yes, but- Great! Welcome to the neighborhood! Trevor backs away with both of his hands extended out and upward. All five of the new Delta boys give each hand some skin. Later. Like detectives at a crime scene, Stanley and Rodney kneel over the haunted vinyl in question in the Gamma Psi living room. Jessica inspects the old telephone. So what? It just gave you a call? What did you two talk about? That's beside the point. What matters is they're here and I actually saw them with my goggles. I mean, it was amazing. They had some kind of aura that radiated this fluorescent energy. The entire house was glowing. Ah, so you were right about the ultraviolet lenses. No, he was not. Yes, yes I was. I told you it's all about the spectrum of light undetectable to the human eye. Okay, well if that's true, then I'd like to take a look for myself. Um, yeah, about that. I might have broken them when I ran out last night. Oh, well, of course you did. Jessica gives Rodney and Stanley an I told you so look. But, hold on, I can still prove they're here. Ugh, I Eugene. think I know how to communicate with them. Eugene, I think it's time we... The EMF in the parlor spikes. Rodney, Stanley, and Jessica jump from the sudden screech. It triggers something in Eugene. His eyes go wide, crazy wide. It's them! Eugene sprints out of the room. The other nerds follow. Moments later, the nerds enter the parlor. The EMF meter on the bookcase dies down. Eugene is a full-on crazy person now. Where'd they go? Who, Eugene? The spirits! They have to be here somewhere. If they left the room, the meter on the stairs would have gone off. Eugene removes the EMF from off the shelf. Maybe the batteries died? Eugene's excited hands pop off the back of the device. Its batteries plink to the floor. Jessica rolls her eyes in a mocking tone. Or maybe, since they're ghosts, they walked through the wall. As Eugene bends down to pick up the batteries, he barely notices a curved groove worn into the floor. It leads out from under the bookcase. His eyes light up. You're right! Eugene stands and curiously pushes against the bookcase's middle section. It clicks, then partially glides outward. Eugene swings the section out to reveal a hidden staircase. They went up! As the other nerds gather to peer up the dark corridor, Eugene discreetly leaves the room for a moment. Whoa, this is dope! Thought this looked suspicious. Rat boys don't read. What you think is up there? Ugh, nothing but toxic mold and dust. I don't know about you guys, but I'm staying down here. Eugene quickly returns with his shortwave radio and climbs the stairs. Suit yourself. Rodney and Stanley follow without hesitation. They duck under hanging cobwebs and disappear into the darkness. Jessica pinches her lips in frustration. She races up the stairs behind them. Moments later, a giant disco ball hangs from the ceiling of a hidden rec room. Pushed against one of the walls is James's old DJ gear and a pinball machine. On the opposite side is a mountain of boxes next to the powered on Van de Graaff generator. Its power cord pops out of the wall just as the nerds push open the door. They enter the room frozen in time with 70s memorabilia. The generator has gone quiet. All right, 
We have to hurry before they run off again. Eugene sets his shortwave radio down on the pinball machine. He flicks on the radio's power switch. It buzzes to life. Meanwhile, Stanley heads right for James's ancient tech. He gently places a hand on the disco console, mesmerized. Ever so slightly, he mimics a scratch and smiles. Rodney snoops through some of the boxes. He digs out Gamma Psy's old fraternity flag, then tosses it aside to hold up an ugly turtleneck. Mm, who'd wear this out in public? Mm-mm. Eugene continues to adjust the dials on his radio. It creates a symphony of annoying noises. Oh, so that thing works now too? When they called me on the phone last night, I noticed there was a large amount of interference. The connection was weak. We always thought using a stronger frequency would be easier for spirits to speak through. But I think it's the opposite. Eugene lowers the dial on the radio. As the frequency becomes more and more washed out, someone faintly breathes on the other end. Eugene and Jessica shiver, their breath suddenly visible. An adrenaline-filled smile consumes Eugene's face. He speaks to the radio. Is there someone here with us? Jessica's eyes widen in astonishment. Rodney and Stanley draw closer to the pinball machine, their mouths hung open. My name is Eugene. Who am I speaking with? Mark. Mark, I'm here to help you. There is only one way to help me. How? You must find my dad! Suddenly, the pinball machine shakes to life with flashing lights and music. Uh, the hell we will! Everyone but Eugene races for the door. In the process, they bump the pinball machine and knock over the radio. The frequency goes haywire. No, 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 guys, wait! Eugene quickly retrieves the radio and fiddles with its dials. Before the nerds reach the door, it slams shut by an invisible force. The nerds freak out. Rodney's big red clown shoe prevents him from prying the door open. We're gonna die in here! Rodney, your foot! Move your foot! Eugene finally finds the correct frequency. As he tunes in, Pete, Mark, and James are laughing their asses off. The pinball machine eventually dies down. Jessica, Stanley, and Rodney freeze. After a beat, they slowly turn to look with crinkled eyebrows. As they do, we transition to the afterlife in that same moment. It's a dark and foggy world, with washed-out colors and unsettling ambient noise. Pete, Mark, and James stand behind Eugene and the pinball machine, doubled over laughing. Their bodies have a slight transparency to them. The ghosts quickly hush up when they notice the suspicious nerds. Mark tries to get back into his spooky ghost character. We intercut between the ghosts in the afterlife and the nerds in the living world. Oh, uh, I will eat your soul. You can drop the act. You might be dead, but I know you're still just a bunch of frat boys. The ghosts are caught off guard. Mark looks at Pete and shrugs. Whatever. Doesn't change the fact we want you out. You're the ones who need to leave. Right, Eugene? No, that's not what I- made you, boss? The power of Christ compels you! Oh my god, Stanley- You for real trying to kick us out right now? No, no. Nobody is kicking anyone out. Then what gives? Why, Why the hell are you here? We're here to win Battle of the Frats. There's another long, silent beat over the radio. Finally, the ghosts burst out laughing. <laughs> Eugene's eyes narrow. 
I've done my research, and I'm like 99% sure that's your unfinished business. Still sounds like you're trying to kick us out. I'm trying to help you move on. There's a difference. Let me give you a little history lesson, Chief. Never in the lifetime of any Miller has a nerd ever won Battle of the Frats. And you can bet your ass I won't be caught dead helping. Well, we're not your average nerds. Eugene glances back at his friends with a look that says, Right, guys? Too shocked and amazed to react, the nerds all stand frozen. Oh, super nerds! A couple days later, Trevor and the new Delta boys take in a beautiful sight from their front porch. All 15 fraternities on the street hoist up their flags. Each of their members is present for the ceremony. Let the games begin. Zippy elbows Trevor to look at something next door. Rodney, who is now painted as a scary clown, and Stanley struggle to raise Gamma Psi's flag. The flagpole's rope is somehow looped around Stanley's belt. Rodney unknowingly gives him a gnarly wedgie. A Greek council member with a clipboard also stands with Eugene and Jessica. Moments later, Trevor and his cronies stomp over. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I swear to God, this better not be what I think it is. Yep, it's official. Gamma Psi will be fighting in the battle this year. Why would the council allow that? This trash hole hasn't been an active frat in decades! Mmm, says here they're still on the roster, and with actual members, they meet all the requirements. Eugene nervously looks up and points at nothing in the air to avoid eye contact. Jessica gives Trevor a smug wave. What about this? One of them's not even a dude! Sorry, boys, but everyone deserves a chance at winning that belt. The council member saunters off. Trevor boils with rage. So, this should be fun. Oh, it's going to be everything but fun. I'm telling you right now, you won't even make it past the first game. You hear me? These other frats are going to eat you up and spit you out. And if by some miracle you make it to the finals, I will level that poor excuse of brotherhood, just like my father did back in his day. <laughs> so, now that I think about it, you're right. This should be fun. As Trevor backs away, the new Delta boys give him another round of unnecessary high fives. In the afterlife, Mark and James have been standing beside the nerds this entire time. They watch the tools walk off. What a stroke! Guess the apple don't fall too far from the tree. Pete lounges on the porch, feet kicked back, uninterested. Hate to say it, but Hollywood's kid is right. This is going to be one embarrassing train wreck. Gamma Psi's worn and tattered flag ripples in the wind. Sometime later, we're now viewing Gamma Psi's backyard through the POV of a smartphone. The yard is packed with dozens and dozens of frat boys and students. The camera follows film student Ryan and film student Maddie as they walk backward through the crowd. They talk into cheap microphones for some college web series. Fifteen fraternities. Five games. All boiling down to the biggest party night of the year. The film students quickly rush up to Trevor and his cronies. The boys drink beer and loiter on the destroyed Trans Am. Trevor never addresses the camera. Here with us now is Trevor Haywood, New Delta's president. Now, Trevor, one of the many perks of winning Battle of the Frats is the buy round you receive for the following year's tournament. Just how beneficial is it to skip this first deadly game? It's the most dangerous one. If you lose, you're out of the battle for good. That's just one less thing we have to worry about. 
And how do you feel about Gamma Psi joining the tournament this year? Are you scared they might take the championship belt back from New Delta? This first game is meant to weed out the weak. I give those idiots 30 seconds, Max. Finally, he looks to the camera. So no, I'm not scared. Just then, a whistle blows. Trevor jumps up and cheers along with the crowd. Well, Maddie, it looks like Gamma Psi's tug-of-war game is about to begin. Let's hope they brought more brawn than brains with them today. Otherwise, they are out with no way of coming back. From the looks of it, Ryan, I don't think they got the message. Finally, we exit the smartphone POV. The large crowd has made room in the center of the yard for the event. A referee in a striped polo holds the center of a thick rope. He addresses the two sides. At the blow of my whistle, the first team to pull the other past the center line wins. The ref looks to his left. Ready? Eugene, Jessica, Stanley, and Rodney, who is now painted as a sad clown, hold onto the rope for dear life. They all give the ref uneasy nods. The ref looks to his right. Ready? The opposing fraternity put only one frat boy on their rope. The other members laugh and shout from behind him. He's about to win this thing all by himself. Let's do this! The referee brings the whistle to his lips and blows. The four nerds pull with all their might. The frat boy on the other end plants his feet. He barely budges. Finally, he takes one step back and pulls the nerds closer to the dividing line. Then another step. And another. It hasn't even been 30 seconds yet. Trevor shouts to the frat boy. Come on now, slow down! Don't let him off that easy! The frat boy releases one hand and Trevor tosses him a beer. He drinks and tugs with ease. Everyone laughs at the humiliating spectacle. Meanwhile, the ghosts watch through the dining room window of the Gamma Psi house. Pete massages his forehead, his head downcast. Lord, how can they be that bad? I can't look away. I, I want to, but I can't. Told you so. Well, shit, man. You gotta do something. Oh, I'm not doing anything. You wanna know why? Because I told them from the get-go, they had no chance. Pete leans forward to the nerds outside the window. This is my I told you so. Fool, this ain't about them. It's about Gamma Psi. We can't let us down. Pete extends a hand out towards the window as if to say, be my guest. Mark and James give each other a nod. Moments later, Mark and James glide through the closed door of the hidden rec room and approach the Van de Graaff generator. James rubs his hands together. With focus, he slowly grabs the generator's power cable and carefully plugs it into the wall outlet. The generator's motor kicks on. Its internal belt spins. The machine pops with electricity. Mark and James grin, and as they each place a hand on the giant aluminum globe, their slight transparent appearances slowly become solid. Starting from their hands, it spreads throughout the rest of their bodies. They almost look like real boys again. Back outside, the lone frat boy still toys with the nerds, but they aren't giving up. Trevor continues to poke fun at the losers when he spots Gamma Psi's back door glide open. Soon after, it closes by itself. Trevor squints in confusion, then finally goes back to enjoying the slaughter. Eugene is just a foot away from crossing the line. The nerds give it everything they've got. The referee watches closely. Pull! With only a couple inches left from losing, part of the rope behind Rodney lifts into the air as if two more people just grabbed on. 
Rodney glances over his shoulder, confused. Eugene is completely unaware. Oh! A hard yank from the nerd's side whiplashes the frat boy. He drops his beer, grabbing onto the rope with both hands. The nerds quickly scoot back, soon to introduce the frat boy to the line. They all peer back at Rodney. He shrugs. Don't look at me. Two more frat members frantically jump in on their side. They dig their heels into the grass, but to no avail. Trevor and the crowd can't believe their eyes. The opposing fraternity stands paralyzed. Trevor yells at them. Wake up! Get out there! More and more members flood the rope until all 12 of them are pulling. Now, it's a fair fight. The fraternity begins to slowly drag the nerds forward again. Back in the Gamma Psi house, Pete continues to watch through the window. He clenches his jaw and shakes his head. Son of a bitch. Back outside, with Eugene, Jessica, Stanley, Rodney, and in the afterlife, Mark and James all pulling away, the Gamma Psi team doesn't look half bad. But something's missing. Just then, at the end of the line, Pete grabs the rope behind James and squats into position. Without turning, James smiles. Knew you'd come around. Shut up and pull. And with that, the seemingly four-nerd team pulls an entire fraternity over the line. The referee is so stunned, the whistle falls out of his mouth. Uh, a winner! Come aside! The crowd goes crazy. The nerds jump into a celebratory huddle as the opposing fraternity sinks to the floor in defeat. The new Delta boys stare with their jaws on the ground. Later, the referee moves Gamma Psi's nameplate along to the second bracket on the elimination board staked in New Delta's front yard. Only eight fraternities have survived the first deadly game. The New Delta boys stare at the board in shock. Bro, what just happened? Trevor turns to eye the ominous Gamma Psi house. I don't know. But I'm telling you, that house is cursed. Later that night, the Van de Graaff and shortwave radio sit on the kitchen table of the Gamma Psi house. Eugene inspects the generator in wonder. The other nerds take a pizza break when a slice floats out of the pizza box. A bite is taken out of it. The piece is visibly chewed up and swallowed. Disgusting. So you're gathering energy from static electricity to physically manifest in our plane of existence? That could not have been English. This is perfect. You can help us with the rest of the tournament. Hold your horses there, Chief. We won't always have home field advantage. Uh, home field what? Uh, not every game is going to be here at the house. Rodney does an eye roll to the radio. Okay, well, I don't see how that's a problem. Can't they just come along with us? Being dead is a lot more complicated than you think. Sounds like you're hiding something. They're hiding something. Man, we ain't playing, you spot. All right. Well, there's obviously something you're not telling us. If you're serious about winning this, it'd be helpful if we could see the whole board here. The nerds wait for a beat. The radio produces nothing but static. God, you're a nerd. The house is surrounded by some kind of darkness, okay? It's full of pain and agony and other... Other what? I don't know. Whatever. The point is, if we go out there, I got a feeling we're not coming back. So we can help you whenever there's a home game, but if it's away, you're on your own. Eugene looks to the other nerds, his eyebrows lifted, as if to say, I think we can do that. Next, a montage shows the nerds making their way through numerous party games. First, the nerds compete in a game of beer pong in the backyard of another frat house. 
The yard is lined with four ping-pong tables and crowded with dozens of people. Members from two fraternities compete at each table. Stanley measures the nerds' table while Eugene makes calculations in his notebook. Jessica proofreads and quickly corrects his work. With these calculations, the nerds sink throw after throw. The opposing fraternity scores on them as well. Rodney, who is now painted as a happy clown, takes care of the beer as the nerds' designated drinker. The nerds score in the opposing frat's last cup. Rodney stumbles backward and falls, his feet flying in the air. From New Delta's table, Trevor glares at the giddy nerds. The following shot shows Gamma Psi's plate being moved along to the third bracket. Only two other fraternities between them and New Delta. Next, Trevor and a frat boy from another opposing frat sit across from each other at Gamma Psi's kitchen table, arm wrestling. Trevor wrenches the frat boy's arm to the table. The referee approves the move and the crowd cheers. The nerds watch amongst them, nervous. Zippy, Woody and Armpit are victorious against their competitors as well. The boys all flex their muscles. Now, Eugene locks hands with a frat boy. In the afterlife, Pete uses one finger to push against Eugene's hand. Eugene wins against the massive frat boy. Mark and James do the same for Stanley and Rodney. Stanley jumps up and shows off his twig arms. Now, Jessica stares into the eyes of her opponent. He winks back. The ref blows his whistle, and in the afterlife, Pete reaches in to help Jessica quickly defeat the frat boy. Nobody can believe their eyes. Trevor forcefully pushes his way through the crowd to leave. On the elimination board, Gamma Psi progresses to the fourth bracket with New Delta. Later, another smartphone POV brings us to the patch of yard between the Gamma Psi and New Delta houses. Film students Ryan and Maddie prep the next game. Here we are, the second to last game before the big party. Now, Ryan, it's no surprise that New Delta made it this far, but I don't think anyone expected Gamma Psi to keep up with them. And you know what? I have never seen Trevor so threatened before. The camera zooms in on Trevor. He's got a stare fixed on the nerds. The camera follows his gaze across the yard. The nerds are grouped up in a half huddle, which appears to be missing people. Well, don't forget, even if he beats them here today, that doesn't mean he's taking care of them for good. The final game always proves to be a pain in someone's ass. Exiting the smartphone POV, the nerds are huddled up over the shortwave radio in Gamma Psi's half of the yard. In the afterlife, the ghosts fill in the huddle's gaps. The Van de Graaff is planted next to the team. Its extension cord runs into the house through a window. Okay, listen up. Now only half the field is playable for us because of that darkness. We can't cross onto New Delta's yard, so you gotta keep all your plays over here. Same goes for defense. Figure out a way to push them over to our side. Guys, I don't know about this. I mean, they're double our size. All y'all gotta do is get close enough to touch them. We'll take care of the rest. We just need three touchdowns. Should be a walk in the park. Trevor shouts from across the yard. Yo! We're gonna play or what? Three touchdowns. Piece of cake. The team breaks. Moments later, the field is between the two houses. Armpit and Flipper stand with the rest of the New Delta fraternity on the sidelines. The crowd around them is ready for a good show. It's four versus four, with the ghosts as the nerds' guardian angels. First play. 
Valentine kicks off the ball. It spins through the air, right into Stanley's arms. He looks up to see Trevor, Woody, and Zippy racing towards him. Stanley panics and laterals the ball to Rodney. Rodney then does the same and laterals the ball to Eugene. Eugene scowls but manages to slip past the approaching New Delta boys and run down the nerd side of the field. Valentine waits for him by the end zone. Eugene squeezes his eyes shut, throws out one hand and plows through Valentine like an unstoppable train. The second he touches the huge boy, he flies out of the way. Eugene scores a touchdown and the crowd goes wild. Trevor grimaces at the ecstatic nerds. Armpit rushes onto the field as Valentine walks to the sidelines, cradling a sore shoulder. Next play. Woody sprints to the end zone on New Delta's side of the yard. Rodney matches his speed and runs alongside him. He squirts Woody in the face with the artificial flower on his costume. Woody veers to the right to avoid being sprayed. The second he crosses into the nerd's yard, he's met by Jessica's shoulder. Woody crashes backward as if a bull rammed him. Next play. Stanley books it to the end zone. He holds the football out in front of him like it's a peeing baby. Zippy is hot on his tail when Zippy's belt begins to unbuckle by itself. He looks down just as his shorts are yanked to his ankles. He falls flat on his face. Stanley scores another touchdown. Zippy stumbles to the sidelines, still trying to pull up his shorts. Flipper takes his place on the field. Next play. Flipper hikes the ball to Trevor. Eugene lumbers towards them, his feet barely touching the ground. Flipper's stance widens, ready for the charge, when Eugene jumps high over him. Everyone gapes. Eugene sails through the air and lands right on top of Trevor, sacking him hard to the ground. Eugene jumps up and jogs back toward the other nerds. They exchange high fives. Trevor finally staggers to his feet. The crowd stifles laughs around him. Shut up! Next play. The football drills through the air. Rodney runs backward to catch the pass, but trips over his big clown shoes. Armpit intercepts the ball. He makes a hard left to avoid Stanley and Jessica. He's running on New Delta's side now. Eugene stands guard by the end zone, but it looks like Armpit has made up his mind. He's going to murder this kid. Eugene's eyes go wide. Trevor notices this. He watches Eugene cower out of the way at the last second. Armpit scores New Delta's first touchdown. The gears turn in Trevor's head. Woody and Flipper stand beside him. Stay off Gamma Psy's yard. Why? Just do what I say. Woody and Flipper shrug to one another. Next play. Woody sprints down New Delta's yard with the ball. The nerds are between him and the end zone. Woody has a crazy look in his eye. Knowing there's no stopping him, the nerds jump out of the way to avoid being mowed over. Woody scores their second touchdown. Trevor smirks. He's got them now. Moments later, the new Delta boys are grouped up in a huddle on the sidelines. Nice call. It's like they won't do shit to us. Next play, I want all three of you to go long on their yard. You, you just said to- I know what I said, and now I'm telling you to stay over there. Trevor aggressively breaks from the huddle. Now back on the field, the air is still. The crowd is silent. 
Trevor drops back into shotgun formation. Tied game. 14 to 14. Next touchdown wins. Looks like Trevor might have something up his sleeve. That smirk has yet to leave Trevor's face. Hike! The ball is snapped to Trevor. Armpit, Woody, and Flipper do as they're told and flood the nerd side of the field. Rodney, Jessica, and Stanley quickly follow to cover them. It was a distraction. Trevor breaks left and sprints down New Delta's side. He speeds past everyone toward Eugene by the end zone. Eugene warily shifts over to intimidate him when Trevor slows to a walk. He approaches Eugene with a look that radiates superiority. Everyone stops to watch. With a high chin, Eugene tries his best to bring Trevor down, but Trevor buries Eugene into the dirt with an aggressive stiff arm. He towers over the nerd. I'm on to you. All of you. Trevor continues towards the end zone and easily scores their third touchdown. New Delta wins. The entire crowd rushes the field and surrounds Trevor. And there you have it! Once again, New Delta is moving on to the finals. All that's left now is the redemption game to decide their opponents. The nerds help Eugene up off the ground. Trevor stares them down. On the elimination board, Gamma Psi's nameplate is removed from the fourth bracket and placed at the bottom of the board. Six other loser fraternities make up the final game of redemption. The next day, Rodney, who is now painted as a happy clown, looks up from a box in the hidden rec room with a scrunched face. Uh, Do we have to? The nerds rummage through the mountain of boxes. Other boxes around them are being dug through and thrown around too. In the afterlife, the ghosts are doing the same. Hell yeah! It's Vegas night, baby! You gotta represent! As Pete digs around, he slowly loses his physical presence. Items slip right through his grasp. Frustrated, he walks over to the Van de Graaff generator to charge back up. What's important right now is finding that briefcase. No briefcase, no redemption. No redemption, no party. Eugene isn't even searching. He's just tossing things around in frustration. We wouldn't be in this mess if I could have just stood my ground. You gotta let that go, Chief. We can lose a play and still win the game. Just keep your eye on the prize. Mark suddenly shoots up from behind a stack of boxes. He holds an old briefcase high above his head. Found it! That's what I'm talking about! Now, if only I could remember the combination. All right, what's next? Depends. Which one of you has the best poker face? A sly smile falls across Eugene's face. Later that night, the new Delta house looks like the entire Vegas Strip. There's a full bar, casino games, sharp-dressed partygoers, and smoke. Lots of smoke. Above the front door is a large banner that reads, New Delta's Charity Vegas Night. The front door suddenly swings open. All heads turn to see the nerds strut inside. They're decked out in the ghost's 70s threads. They could not look any cooler. Rodney still has his clown makeup and wig on, which now looks like James's afro. He wears that exact ugly turtleneck from earlier. As the nerds stride into the living room, the crowd parts to reveal a poker table in the middle of the room. Six frat boys sit at the table, one from each fraternity that was eliminated after the first game. They're all ripping fat vape clouds from their e-cigs. The referee, now dressed as a dealer, passes out poker chips from a large rack. He's made his way to the last frat boy player. How much? 
The frat boy holds up a bragging five fingers. Five hundred? Someone had a good year! The frat boy hands the ref his fraternity's credit card. The ref taps it on a card reader, then gives the frat boy a couple stacks of chips in return. Now, the nerds approach the table. Eugene pulls out the seventh chair, but doesn't sit. Instead, he steps aside. Stanley then walks out from behind the nerds and takes a seat. He's still got his headphones around his neck. What will it be? Stanley holds up one finger. One hundred? The ref begins to count out the chips when Stanley snaps his fingers. Eugene sets the old briefcase down on the table and pops it open. It's stuffed with ten stacks of bound single-dollar bills, all from the 70s. One thousand. The entire house goes silent. All eyes are on the nerds. The ref peers down at his rack of chips. He then sets the entire thing on the table next to Stanley and leaves with the briefcase. Trevor appears behind Eugene and roughly grabs hold of his shoulders. Come on now, that's practically stealing from the dead, isn't it? Whatever it takes to win. Hmm. Well, you see, Ace over there is the second best player on campus. Ace, calm and collected, sits directly across from Stanley. He's the only frat boy not wearing cliché sunglasses. Speaking from experience, it's going to take a lot more than money to beat him. I'll let Stanley know. Thanks. Trevor smirks. He gives Eugene's shoulders a tighter squeeze. Meanwhile, back at the Gamma Psi house, Eugene's cell phone rests next to the shortwave radio on the coffee table in the living room. It buzzes from an incoming call. The caller ID reads, Dad. One of the invisible ghosts picks up the phone. It floats around in the air. Yo, Eugene's calculator's going off. That's his phone, bozo. Answer it. The phone twists and turns as James inspects it. How the hell? He brings the phone to his ear. Hello? What it is? No, man, I saw him do it once. You gotta swipe the screen. Let me try. Mark quickly yanks the phone away from James. The phone then drops down low before arcing upward as if to wipe his ass. Swipe, not wipe. Here, give it to me. Pete goes for the phone. The ghosts juggle the device as it bounces around in the air. Nobody has a good grip on it. The phone finally lands back down on the coffee table. The call was answered during the juggling, and it's on speaker. Hello? Hey, what's the buzz, man? Um, I'm looking for Eugene. Sorry, Pops. He's next door playing poker. Should be back soon, though. I'll let him know you called. I'm sorry, who's this? Pete Miller, president of Gamma Psi. Nice to meet you. And you're hanging out with Eugene? I'd say he's more hanging out with us, but sure, whatever floats your boat. You don't say. Meanwhile, back at the new Delta house, Trevor stands before his party guests. If I could have everyone's attention, please. I just wanted to say thank you all for coming out tonight. As many of you know, there's nothing more I love than giving to charity. Over the years, the brothers of New Delta have gotten so used to hosting this event that it would seem almost wrong if we didn't. The party laughs. So, without further ado, it's time for the main event. The party claps. Trevor addresses the poker table now. Boys, you know the drill. There can only be one. Now, I want you all to play nice, bet a lot of money. Trevor points at Stanley. And make sure that Rain Man here goes home broke and crying. Again, the party laughs. The nerds don't think it's as funny. May the best loser win. Stanley calmly puts on his headphones. All seven players are ready. 
Next, multiple dissolves, show cards being dealt, Stanley eyeballing his opponents, frat boys throwing in the towel, out of money, ace raking in chips, Stanley doing the same, and finally, the third player cracking from pressure and leaving the table. Only two players remain, Ace and Stanley, both with nearly equal amounts of chips. Ace seems to be holding up well, but not great. Stanley remains unaffected, still wearing his headphones. The party Trevor and nerds watch closely. The blinds are in. The cards are dealt. Ace takes a peek. He has the two of spades and eight of spades. Across the table, Stanley gives the briefest of glances at his own cards. Ace throws in some chips. Call. 100. Stanley stares at Ace for a moment. He then picks up an entire stack of red chips and places them out in front of him. 200. Ace's head ever so slightly twitches. He counts out the same amount and splashes the pot. Call. 300. The ref burns a card and deals the flop. Seven of spades, queen of spades, and five of diamonds. Ace works the cards in his head. He rolls a single chip on the knuckles of his left hand. Check. Stanley bets another stack of red chips. 400. A sliver of fear escapes Ace's stone exterior. Stanley is breaking him. Trevor stands nearby, paying close attention to Ace. Ace meets the bet. Call. 500. The ref burns a card and lays down the turn. King of Diamonds. As soon as it's placed, Trevor walks away towards the bar. He leans against the bar next to a waitress. She holds a tray of shot glasses. Check. Once again, Stanley bets, raising the pot. 600. Ace gulps. He reminds himself of his cards. Two of spades and eight of spades. This isn't good. He continues to roll his chip. Ace, your move. Ace studies Stanley, trying to get a read. Stanley betrays no emotion. Ace fidgets in his seat. I, uh, I need a drink. The waitress from the bar springs into action. She arrives with the tray and lowers it to the table over Ace's cards. Ace takes his time and throws back two shots. He then places the glasses back on the tray and the waitress walks off. Ace takes one last look at his cards. He now has the king of hearts and king of spades. At the bar, the waitress returns. Trevor places a deck of cards on the tray before taking a shot himself. He gives the waitress a wink. She leaves with the evidence. At the table, Ace peers up from his new hand with a grin. Call. 700. A card is burned and the river is dealt. Four of spades. Ace doesn't even bother looking. He'd much rather watch Stanley for what's about to come next. All in. Ace offers everything he's got. The party quietly reacts. The nerds bite at their fingernails. 1900! Unfazed, Stanley matches his bet. All in, 2900! Gentlemen, show your cards! Ace throws in his two kings. The ref singles out the king of diamonds from the community cards. Three of a kind, kings! Stanley stares at the cards, frozen. Yet his face remains the same. Nothing. Finally, he tosses down his cards, six of hearts and three of diamonds. The ref arranges Stanley's cards over the community cards. That's a street! Ladies and gentlemen, we have our second finalist, Gamma Psy! 
The party cheers and the nerds congratulate Stanley. He allows himself a proud smile. Ace stares at the cards, dumbstruck. He notices the final four of spades. If he kept his original hand dealt, he would have won with a flush. At the bar, Trevor hurls his empty shot glass across the room. Later that night, a funky disco song loudly plays from the next room. The Gamma Psi kitchen table is littered with drinks and another half-eaten pizza. The team is celebrating. In the living room, the ghosts and nerds are taking turns dancing down a soul train line. Each one of them does their own unique dance. The nerds are still dressed in their 70s outfits from earlier that night, and now the ghosts wear clothes too. The ghosts' clothes conform to their physical presence. They look like headless horsemen, their heads and hands still invisible. Just then, there's a knock at the door. Eugene leaves to answer it. In the foyer, Eugene opens the door. He nearly jumps out of his skin. An ecstatic Mr. Erickson stands on the porch. He's got the biggest smile on his face. A fraternity? Dad, what are you doing here? Well, I just spoke to your frat brother, Pete, but I just couldn't believe it. I had to see it for myself. Mr. Erickson peers behind Eugene. He catches a glimpse of the headless dancers. Confused, he tries to get a better look. Eugene quickly steps outside and closes the door. Ah, Pete, what a guy. Uh, listen, I, I don't mean to run you off or anything, but we're kind of busy at the moment. Say no more. I wouldn't want my old man hanging around at a party either. He gives Eugene a knowing elbow. Eugene nervously chuckles. I can stop by next week? Sure, yeah, next week sounds good. Mr. Erickson lets out a satisfied sigh. I'm really proud of you, buddy. I know this whole school thing hasn't been easy, but I think you made the right choice. It would have made your mother very happy. Eugene's cheeks burn with shame. Thanks, Dad. Mr. Erickson replies with a smile. He then steps off the porch to leave. Halfway down the steps, he turns to look at Eugene. He laughs to himself. College man. Eugene watches his happy father head off. Back in the foyer, Jessica anxiously waits by the front door. Eugene finally steps back inside. He exhales, then spies through the front door's side window to watch Mr. Erickson leave. So, what happened? Well, he thinks I joined the frat. Oh, and somehow talks to Pete. Oh my gosh, that's great. Why didn't you bring him in? Because until there's an actual paycheck involved, none of what he sees will matter. Trust me. Eugene, sooner or later, he's gonna find out. Eugene leaves the window and heads back for the living room. And we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Jessica shakes her head and follows. At that same moment, a POV from outside the Gamma Psi house looking through the window shows Eugene and Jessica walking up to the headless ghosts. Next door, Trevor stands in complete darkness at a window, watching them all. The next day, Mayor Haywood sits in a large chair with his back to a desk in an impressive office. Mayor Haywood studies Trevor's phone. On the screen, a blurred image of the headless ghosts from the night before. Proof the Gamma Psi house is haunted. A familiar class ring is prominently displayed on Haywood's finger. So, the stories are true. Trevor sits in a guest chair in front of the desk. He looks small, timid. Yes, sir. Well, that's a relief. 
Uh, it is? Yes. It means you're not a complete embarrassment. Trevor's eyes drift downward with shame. Mayor Haywood tosses Trevor's phone over his shoulder onto the desk. If Pete Miller truly is helping these nobodies, then you've already lost. Even in death, that stubborn son of a bitch wants that belt. What should I do? Seeing how you already let Gamma Psy dick up their grave, I'd say you've done more than enough. Wouldn't you agree? Trevor sinks deeper into his chair. Yes, sir. Well, then, as usual, it looks like I'll be the one fixing your mistake. Mayor Haywood swivels around. He grabs his desk phone and dials a number. What are you going to do? Mayor Haywood holds the phone up to his ear. Arrange a funeral they can't come back from. <laughs> Later. A massive dumpster is being unloaded onto the Gamma Psi driveway as construction workers unroll orange safety fence along the sides of the house. Mr. Gibson walks to his truck parked on the street. Eugene follows close behind. And you can't pay your taxes anymore. The state can do this kind of thing. Haywood's always had an eye on this place, too. Worthless politician. I'm sorry, but the demolition is this Friday. Are you sure there's nothing else you can do? I've done all I can, kid. It's a damn miracle I made it this far. Mr. Gibson slides into his truck. It sputters to life. What happened to this being personal to you? It's time for me to let them go. Well, I'm not giving up. Mr. Gibson looks to Eugene, but says nothing. He backs up and drives away. As Eugene turns to head back for the house, he spots Trevor watching from the porch next door. Trevor snickers at him before stepping inside. Eugene sneers when a loud crash comes from inside the Gamma Psi house. Eugene quickly races up the porch. Upon Eugene's entrance into the living room, he's nearly hit by a flying chair. It smashes against the wall next to him. The nerds are grouped up in the back of the room, trying to avoid being hit by flying furniture. In the afterlife, Pete is in a rage. Eugene quickly runs over to the nerds in their safe area. What's going on? Just thought I'd get a head start on things. That's what you want, right? Tear the house down? Instinctively, Eugene ushers the other nerds behind him. He strains to remain calm. I had nothing to do with this. Pete slowly steps closer and closer to the nerds. Their eyes scour the room, unknowing of the invisible ghost's location. Cut the bullshit! This is what you wanted from the beginning! I heard you the other night! Guess we are just a paycheck to you, huh? Every light in the house flickers. The nerds shiver from a rapid temperature drop, their breath visible. Pete, that's not true! James steps over to Pete, but he shoves James away. Pete remains fixated on the nerds. I should have never let you join Battle of the Frats! I knew this was a bad idea! Gamma Psi was all I had left, and now thanks to you, it's being taken away from me! In the living world, Pete slowly manifests as his hideous car crash corpse. His blood-stained clothes, deformed face, and deep scars appear before the nerds' very eyes. Horror washes over their faces. Pete steps closer to the nerds. They cower to the floor in utter fear. James shouts to him through the shortwave radio. Pete! 
Pete's voice morphs into something demonic. The frigid air causes frost to engulf the windows. The room darkens. We were just fine before you came along. Pete, listen! I want you out! Pete lunges at the nerds, but mid-air, he's tackled by an invisible force. James's corpse manifests, picking himself up off the ground. Stop it, man! Pete roars to his feet, grabs James, and flings him into the dining room. James crashes down on the dining room table. Now Mark manifests. He jumps on Pete's back. I got him! I got him! Pete hurls Mark over his shoulder. Mark sails across the room and smashes onto the couch. It plows across the floor, right up against the opening to the foyer. James charges back into the living room. Pete turns to him just in time to get picked up and slammed against the wall. The ghosts twist and fight. They destroy everything in the room like a paranormal tornado. Mark and James struggle to keep Pete away from the nerds. We can't hold them! Get the hell out of here! Rodney, Jessica and Stanley flee for the front door. They hurdle the couch into the foyer. Before Jessica leaves, she stops and turns to see Eugene still paralyzed on the floor. Eugene, come on! Eugene simply shakes his head. Jessica hesitates, but eventually races out of the house. Pete begins to slowly slip through Mark and James's hold. They're losing their physical presence. Pete easily yanks free. Eugene! Mark and James fade away with no more power. Pete continues toward Eugene. I can help you! Pete grabs Eugene by the shirt and lifts him off the ground. Help me! All you want to do is get rid of me! That's not true! Eugene suddenly drops to the floor. Pete looks at his body. It's becoming more and more transparent. He turns for the nearby Van de Graaff generator. Eugene quickly stumbles to his feet and races for it too. He grabs hold of the power cord and yanks it from the wall. Pete slowly fades. All he can do is stare Eugene down. I thought you were different. Silence. Eugene stands alone in the destroyed room. Later, Mr. Erickson sits hunched over at a small desk in a grid of cubicles. Light chatter and ringing phones fill the massive office space. Mr. Erickson crunches numbers on a computer. He stares at the screen with dead eyes when his work phone rings. He reaches over and brings the phone to his ear, his stare still fixed on the computer screen. Hello, this is Tim Erickson. Hi, Mr. Erickson. This is Mrs. Wheeler from Creek Hill University Admissions. I've been trying to get a hold of Eugene in regards to his scholarship. We just wanted to let him know he can still use it to start next semester if he's interested. He's already attending this semester. I'm sorry, that's not what our records are showing. Mr. Erickson's dead eyes turn narrow. He straightens up in his chair. There must be some kind of mistake then. I was just with him the other night at some Gamma Psi fraternity. There's a quiet beat over the phone. Mr. Erickson, that house has been vacant for over 30 years. It's rumored to be haunted. Mr. Erickson's head drops. He takes in a long breath to calm himself. Is this a bad time? You know what? I think there might be some things we need to figure out first. But thank you for calling. Mr. Erickson hangs up. He sits with his thoughts and the truth he's just learned. Meanwhile, back at the Gamma Psi house, Eugene sits in a chair amongst the destruction. On his lap is the shortwave radio. It produces static, 
but no voices. Just then, Eugene's phone dings. He removes it from his pocket to read a text message from Dad. The message reads, We need to talk. Eugene clicks off the shortwave radio. Later that night, Eugene zips up his packed duffel bag and slings it over his shoulder in the Gamma Psi bedroom. He collects his belongings, then heads for the door. Eugene turns to look at everything one last time. His eyes travel across the room to finally rest upon the nightstand. He almost forgot the EMF meter from the very first night. Eugene goes to retrieve the device when he notices the photo of his mother still resting against it. Eugene picks up the photo and studies it. Now, in a flashback, young Eugene softly swings by himself with his back to a school playground. He's still wearing his Ghostbusters shirt. His swinging slows to a stop when a teacher and Mr. Erickson approach. Mr. Erickson sinks to one knee in front of Eugene. He wears a brave face, but behind this mask, his true expression shows. Heartbreak. And with that, Mr. Erickson delivers the hardest sentence he's ever spoken. His words hit young Eugene like a paralyzing blow. Tears stream from his puckered face. He falls from the swing and into his father's arms, helpless, bawling. Back to present day, Eugene's eyes fill with tears, except not ones of sadness. Tears of determination. Later, Rodney's Funhouse Pizzeria van slowly comes to a stop in front of the Gamma Psi house. The living room's lights cast a warm glow through the windows. Inside the van, Jessica, Rodney, who is now painted as a happy clown, and Stanley nervously case the joint. There you go, his car's still here, the lights are on, he's fine, let's go. Rodney puts the van in drive and begins to pull away. But he's not answering my calls. Rodney puts the van back in park. Dude, we're talking about Eugene here. I bet you he and Pete are working everything out as we speak. We should give him some time. Let's come back later. Oh, but what if something's wrong? If something bad did happen, there'd be cops all over the place. Right, Stanley? Actually, nobody would smell the body for another couple of days. Rodney tries to swat at Stanley out of Jessica's view. You know what? I'm going to make sure he's okay. Jessica climbs out of the van. Moments later, Gamma Sai's front door opens from outside. Jessica cautiously pokes her head into the foyer. She gulps, searching the area for any hideous entities. Eugene? Hello? She warily enters. Just then, Jessica steps into the living room to find Eugene, sitting in the chair, eyes shut, strapped up to the afterlife vest. A rising electrical hum bleeds from the vest's shock paddles. A marriage of red, yellow, and blue wires snake from the paddles to a detonator-looking trigger in Eugene's hand. Jessica stops cold at the sight. Eugene? Eugene's eyes shoot open. He holds a stare with Jessica. Don't. I know. Eugene clicks the trigger. The vest's shock paddles rock Eugene's heart. Eugene slumps over, motionless. Three minutes. 2.59. 2.58. The vest's digital timer counts down at a steady pace, like dripping water. Having heard Jessica's scream, Rodney and Stanley finally race inside. They freeze behind her. She visibly shakes. Oh my gosh. Jessica rushes over and searches Eugene's neck with two fingers. She then turns to the other nerds. He... he's dead. 
they narrow in on the timer. 2.49. 2.48. Three minutes. Jessica further observes Eugene's body, eventually settling on the trigger. She steals it from Eugene's limp hand. What are you doing? Jessica's thumb hovers over the button. Her hand trembles. She squeezes her eyes shut and diverts her face. Stanley and Rodney share a look before stepping back. As Jessica's thumb begins to slowly press down, the dial-up telephone rings. The nerds' heads slowly rotate toward the phone. Jessica finally answers it. She listens to a static windstorm. A faint, grainy voice pokes in and out of the static. Jessica? I'm all right. Don't bring me back yet. I have to talk to Pete. Jessica makes shapes with her mouth, speechless. The vest will start by heart when the time is up. Please, I'll be fine. The static wind picks up speed. Wait, Eugene! The phantom phone call flatlines. Jessica slowly hangs up, turning to Eugene's body. She contemplates. You better be right about this. In the afterlife, Eugene's ghostly form, still solid to all appearances, stands beside the telephone. He watches his friends prepare to wait out the minutes. Thanks, Jess. Moments later, Eugene exits the house in the afterlife. As if placed in a snow globe, the house is surrounded by a thick, rolling mass of grey and black. Booming thunder emits from deep inside. This is the darkness. Eugene draws closer. He stops just before the cloudy barrier. Distorted moans of agony and pain fill the dark void. As Eugene leans in closer, lightning scatters deep within. Dozens of figures are silhouetted during the brief moment of illumination. Eugene immediately staggers away. He's got to find Pete. Fast. In the backyard, Pete sits in the mangled Trans Am, his head slumped. He looks like his usual transparent self. Eugene then slides into the passenger seat next to him. The two boys sit in a beat of silence. What happens to us when the house is gone? Well, I guess there's a chance he'd still- Don't sugarcoat it, man. Eugene slowly nods. He abides by Pete's wishes. You'd become lost souls. Thunder cracks in the darkness around them. Pete peers out at his impending doom. But I'm not going to let that happen. You have to keep your eye on the prize, remember? We can still win this thing. That's the problem, Chief. I, I don't think I can. I've played against the odds before. Down by two touchdowns, time's running out, but, but in my head I always knew I'd make a comeback. Now? That, that's all gone. Guess you really are only as good as your last game. I lost the Miller Legacy, the perfect streak, always being a winner. I failed my father. I, I can't do it again. Eugene takes this in. He softly chuckles. Man, whatever. You, you wouldn't understand. No. No, I do. My dad's had my entire career figured out since I was about 12. Now, after my mom passed away, I wanted to give others what we never got. You know, a chance to say goodbye. To move on. But, of course, my dad thinks the paranormal is a bunch of nonsense. That paycheck wasn't for me, Pete. It was proof for my dad. But I've realized I can't be doing this for him. That's not why I got into it in the first place. 
Pete gazes out towards the Gamma Psi house. He slowly nods. I get it. Your fear of losing again is holding you back. We have to win Battle of the Frats for you, not some legacy. Let's help you move on. Pete takes this in for a beat. Yeah, maybe you're right. The two boys share a smile when Eugene's body jolts. What was that? Eugene looks down at his hands. He can almost see right through them. Eugene grows weak, out of breath. They're trying to bring me back. Bring you back? Eugene looks to Pete, apologetic. It was the only way you talked to me, Pete. Pete's concern builds to remorse. What did you do? Back in the living room, Eugene's dead body now lies on the floor. The vest's timer displays zero. Jessica clicks the button on the trigger. Once again, the shock jolts Eugene's body. But he remains motionless. Come on. Jessica tries again with the button, only this time, the trigger shorts out. She throws it to the floor after receiving a small zap. The vest has malfunctioned. A numbing realization washes over her. No. No, 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 no! Jessica drops to her knees. She kneels over Eugene's body and begins chest compressions. Eugene's cell phone vibrates along the floor next to his body. The caller ID reads, Dad. Rodney and Stanley step closer. Jessica. A heartbroken tear rolls down Jessica's cheek. He's not dying! In the afterlife, Pete helps Eugene into the room. Eugene slumps to the floor by his phone. His ghostly form looks even more transparent. Mark! James! Mark and James glide into the room. Their eyes go wide at everything they see. The hell's going on? We need to do something! Mark and James rush over. What are we supposed to do? As Jessica continues chest compressions, her icy breath fogs the air. She looks up at the room around her. Pete? Pete, please. You guys have to start his heart. Just put your energy into him. Manifest. I don't know. Just do something. Pete kneels next to Eugene's body. He concentrates, slowly placing his hands on top of Jessica's over the vest. Mark and James haven't moved an inch. Come on! He doesn't have much time! They quickly add their hands on top of Pete's, like a team hand stack over Eugene's heart. Is this gonna work? Pete gulps. On the count of three. In the living world, Jessica has yet to give up, when the lights in the room flicker before building in brightness. The nerd's glazed eyes peer up at them. The afterlife vest on Eugene's body produces a faint electrical hum. It too rises with intensity. Jessica quickly removes her hands. The lights continue to swell, brighter and brighter. Frost consumes the windows. The nerds pick themselves up and retreat against the wall. Sparks blast from the electrical sockets around them. Unfazed, Jessica watches Eugene's body closely, hoping, praying. The vest's hum grows louder and louder. The nerds shield their eyes from the light's intense brightness. After what feels like an eternity, the bulbs finally burst. The house is left in darkness. Eugene's body remains motionless on the floor. A quiet beat passes. The nerds hold one another. Suddenly, Eugene snaps back to life. He inhales a long, giant breath. 
Jessica rushes to Eugene and squeezes him in a passionate hug. Oh my god! Oh my god! Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm good. Thank you. Jessica finally lets Eugene go. She then slaps him. Ow! Don't you ever do that to me again! You were dead for almost five minutes! It was worth it! Yep, he has brain damage. Eugene chuckles and tries to stand. Jessica carefully helps him up. Come on. We have a party to get ready for. The three nerds look to one another with crinkled eyebrows. The next day, Stanley backs out of the front door of the Gamma Psi house. He carries one end of the broken couch. The other end of the couch exits the house, only nobody seems to be carrying it. One of the invisible ghosts helps Stanley toss the couch into the driveway dumpster. Now in the living room, the ghosts, Rodney and Stanley, are cleaning up the rest of the broken furniture. Items are being flung into the foyer all by themselves, where Stanley and Rodney make trips to the dumpster. The disco ball from the hidden rec room has been secured to the center of the living room ceiling. Eugene balances himself on a ladder. As he drills an array of black lights around the disco ball, Jessica watches from down below. Wouldn't it be easier to just fix the goggles you already have? Well, yes, but we can't make a pair for everyone that comes to the party. And you're sure this is gonna work? It just seems a little too simple. Think of it this way. Cats are said to see spirits, right? Or at least spectrums of light that we can't. Ultraviolet light. Right! Now, they also have six to eight times as many light sensing rods. So these mirrors, they act as a way to adjust the light intake, just like the goggles do. And with enough lights, they should illuminate the entire room with concentrated beams. I'll believe it when I see it. God, you guys are nerds. Jessica and Eugene chuckle when Rodney and Stanley return from their final trash run. Rodney looks on edge. We, uh, all good in here? Just about. Cool, because you have a new problem outside. Eugene hops off the ladder and peers out the window. Mr. Erickson stands in the driveway. He stares up at the house. All right. Give me a sec. Moments later, Eugene skips off the porch and approaches his father. Mr. Erickson's arms hang to his side. He looks defeated. Hey, uh, sorry I haven't called you back. Uh, you're not going to believe this. We've been setting up for this huge party. Eugene, be honest with me. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? I know you lied about your scholarship. Eugene's eyelids sink. The jig is up. He exhales, dropping all excuses. Dad. This place is actually haunted. For God's sake. If you come inside, I can show you- I want you. you home by tonight, Eugene. We'll discuss this later. Mr. Erickson turns for his car. Eugene takes a deep breath and pinches his lips. I'm not leaving. Mr. Erickson stops. He glowers back at Eugene. Meanwhile, back at the house, Jessica now watches from the doorway. I have only two days to help the spirits haunting this house move on. I know you don't understand, and probably never will, but I'm their only hope. So, I'm sorry, but I am not leaving until I put their souls to rest. Mr. Erickson glares at his son for a beat. Finally, he shakes his head in disappointment. Your mother would be so disappointed in you. Mr. Erickson climbs into his car and drives off. On the porch, Eugene steps up to Jessica. He shrugs his eyebrows at her. Guess you were right. You okay? Eugene exhales a deep breath. He processes what just happened. I will be, yeah. It's actually kind of relieving that he knows. 
Jessica gives him a subject-changing grin. What do you say we go finish those lights? Eugene nods and follows Jessica inside. In the afterlife, Pete is leaning against the doorway. He too takes everything in. Later that night, a section of the street in front of the new Delta and Gamma Psi house has been roped off with red ceremonial ribbon. Both ends keep hundreds of college students at bay. Dozens of other film students conduct last-minute tests on a miniature jumbotron. It's been set up in the yard between the two fraternities. The center of the screen is divided to display two separate feeds from different cameras. Coverage for each party. Attached below the screen is an electronic scoreboard. Inside the Gamma Psi house, it looks decently clean. Stanley, Eugene, and Jessica stand in an attentive row in the parlor. In the afterlife, Mark and James stand with them. Pete paces back and forth in front of the team. With the shortwave radio hoisted upon his shoulder, he eyes the empty fireplace mantle. <sighs> it's been a long time coming. At that same moment, Trevor also gives a speech to the massive new Delta audience in their frat living room. He paces in front of a fireplace where the legendary championship belt is displayed on the mantle. It hasn't aged a day. Tonight is the night! The new Delta boys mimic a pack of barking dogs. We now intercut between Pete at Gamma Psi and Trevor at New Delta. Although things might have changed over the years, being here in the finals again, it's, it's not only a real trip, but a massive honor. I don't want any pussyfooting around, you hear me? If we lose this thing, that's like taking a big old shit right on my father's face. You don't want to be the ones dropping that deuce, do you? No, no sir. sir! No matter what happens tonight, no matter who wins, you should all be proud. We raised hell and we kicked ass, man. Doesn't get much better than that. I'm embarrassed. I'm just gonna say, I'm embarrassed. For us, for the other frats on this street. I mean, who'd have thought four nerds and three ghosts could take on an army of veteran fraternities and make it to where we are now? Hell, I didn't. Pete winks at James. Not at first. James smirks back. This has been the worst season since my father won that belt 40 years ago. A couple new Delta boys look to one another. I think we're doing pretty good. Pretty good is not good enough. Look, you didn't hear it from me, but these past few weeks have been some of the best in my life. Or afterlife. Eugene snorts to the floating shortwave radio. Hmm, who's the nerd now? Still you. Eugene agrees with a shrug. Meanwhile, Trevor stares intensely at the belt, his back to the new Delta boys. Losing is not an option, and I'm warning you all right now. I will do whatever it takes to win. If you don't like that, then you don't belong here. Trevor turns to his brothers. They all stand strong and supportive. He nods at them. It's time we end this. Pete sets down the radio. He studies the Gamma Psi team. They too are ready. Pete cracks a smile. Let's get this show on the road. Outside, the waiting crowd goes crazy as the members of New Delta and Gamma Psi meet in the sectioned off street. The championship belt is proudly displayed around Trevor's waist. Eugene ogles at the trophy. Film students cover the event's kickoff. Trevor and Eugene are displayed on the left and right sides of the Jumbotron. 
Trevor has an entire army by his side, whereas only Jessica and Stanley accompany Eugene. The referee, dressed in a fancy suit, steps over to them. He looks to Trevor. The belt, sir. Trevor hands the belt over to the referee. A film student then runs up and takes it off to the side. The ref now addresses the crowd. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 67th Annual Battle of the Frats. Two fraternities, nine rounds. The only way to prove who can throw the biggest and baddest party. Let's take a look at our fighters, shall we? To my right, the undefeated reigning champion for over four decades, New Delta. The crowd worships New Delta with cheers and screams. Trevor soaks it all in. And to my left, the former champ, back from the dead to reclaim their title, Gamma Psi. The nerds receive some excitement here and there, but nothing compared to New Delta. Eugene takes a deep, calming breath. The rules are simple. Each round will last 10 minutes. Whichever house holds the most amount of people at the end of that time scores a point. Excuse me. Excuse me. The referee stops and everyone looks at Stanley. He's got his arm up in the air as if he's in a classroom. How exactly do you plan on calculating that? Trevor peers around. Is he serious? Eugene and Jessica look back at the ref. It's a fair question. The ref clears his throat, a little annoyed. Each house's entrance has been fitted with custom pressure plates. At that same moment, another film student places a two-by-one rubber pad on both sides of Gamma Psi's front door's threshold. The pads are each connected to wires that lead off the porch towards the Jumbotron. As people come and go, those plates will either add or subtract them to the party's overall attendance, which is then displayed on this here scoreboard. On both ends of the scoreboard below the Jumbotron, three digital zeros snap on. A round timer reading 10 minutes also awakens, as well as a score counter for each fraternity. Eugene and Jessica shrug their eyebrows at Stanley. Looks good to us. Stanley cocks his head. I'll allow it. And let's get ready to party! As the roar of the crowd becomes deafening, a huge pair of scissors are handed to Jessica and Valentine. The two of them are escorted to the ribbon on each of their sides. The referee then approaches Trevor and Eugene. Okay, I want a nice, clean battle and nothing illegal, understood? Let me see you shake. Trevor grabs Eugene's hand with a bone-crushing grip. You should know that when it comes to Battle of the Frats, anything goes. Eugene manages to wrench his hand free, undamaged. The referee slinks back. He addresses the crowd again. Let's count it down! The crowd joins in. They all begin to count down. Ten, nine. Jessica and Valentine place the ribbons within the blades of their scissors. Eight, seven. Trevor and Eugene stare holes into each other's faces. Six, five, four, three, two. The intensity of everything starts to wig Eugene out. Wide-eyed, he turns to look behind him. One. Jessica and Valentine snip their ribbons. Madness ensues as a stampede of partygoers race in from both sides. Eugene turns back around to see Trevor and the new Delta boys hauling ass to their house. The massive crowds are heading there as well. 
Eugene spins around to Stanley. Go! Run! Go! Eugene and Stanley quickly sprint home. Jessica catches up with them. On the Jumbotron, an air horn blares. Round one has started. The timer counts down from ten minutes. New Delta's digital attendance is already climbing into the hundreds. Gamma size only reads five. Film student Ryan covers New Delta's party on screen, while film student Maddie covers Gamma size. The differences in the parties behind them are night and day. Here it is, Maddie. The timer has started, and New Delta's party is in full swing. It's an absolute animal house over here. I wish I could say the same. Things are not looking good for Gamma Psi. Meanwhile, in Gamma Psi's living room, the Van de Graaff generator and James's impressive DJ equipment are the only things that occupy the now empty space. Eugene, Jessica, and Stanley nervously peer out the window. Eugene holds the shortwave radio. I know you guys are the experts and all, but I think now would be a really good time to do something. Don't have a cow, man. We got it handled. What? Th- then what are we waiting for? That. The nerds turn to see James's 70s threads step into the room. The clothes walk themselves over to James's equipment. In the afterlife, Pete pats James on the back as he passes. Do your thing. James gives him a nod. Aye, aye, Captain. He cranks up the volume on his DJ console. The nearby speakers produce feedback. He then loads a set of Boston records onto his dual turntables. I'm about to take us back. Way back. At the New Delta house, Trevor and a couple of New Delta boys are gathered around a red solo cup. The beer in the cup vibrates along with their party's music. The New Delta boys fist bump each other when suddenly the mix of foreplay slash long time blasts from next door. With each guitar stab, everything in the house trembles. Oh my God, is this, are we actually being hit by an earthquake? Outside on the Jumbotron, film student Maddie's camera gets a close look at James's handless figure mixing away. That's no earthquake, Ryan. Gamma Psy has just brought in a DJ, and it looks like they're really playing off the whole haunted house thing. New Delta's attendance falls as Gamma Psy's flies. Outside of Gamma Psy, partygoers run into the house, being sure to step on the inside pressure plate as they enter. In the living room, everyone dances to James's music while some try to get a better look at him. Whew, you know, I think we spoke too soon, Ryan. These guys are not going down without a fight. On the Jumbotron, the timer hits zero. An AR horn signals the end of round one. A one blinks on below Gamma Psy's digital attendance. And round one goes to Gamma Psy! Folks, I can tell you right now, this is going to be one hell of a battle. Round two starts. At the new Delta house, Trevor boils as he watches from the window. There's only a handful of people at his party. Trevor spins around and points at the New Delta boys. Bust out the booze! Moments later, the New Delta backyard is a paradise, with a full bar, a line of keg stands, and a beautiful pool. People are taking shots, chugging beer, and swimming. Things are starting to get absolutely crazy. We are nearing the end of only round two, and New Delta has already brought out the big guns! That is some heavy artillery, Ryan. They are not playing around. On the Jumbotron, as New Delta's attendance peaks, the timer reaches zero and the air horn sings. The round is added to New Delta's score, mirroring Gamma size. It's one to one. 
round three starts. Now, Rodney's Funhouse Pizzeria van barrels down the street. People jump out of the way to avoid being hit. Rodney goes out of his way to smash into the trash cans at the end of New Delta's driveway. The van screeches to a halt in front of the Gamasai house. The back doors open up, and just like an actual clown car, dozens of sad, scary, and happy clowns jump out. Each one of them carries an extra-large pizza box. They all race to the house. Rodney hops out too. His face is unseen. Moments later, Eugene points the clowns to the kitchen as they file inside the house. At the end of the long line, Rodney, who is no longer dressed in a clown suit, finally enters. He's handsome and destined for the cover of some GQ magazine. You got the night off and still couldn't show up on time? Dude, you can't rush perfection. Rodney struts away towards the kitchen. Eugene rolls his eyes and follows. Later, the pizza boxes have found homes on pretty much every surface in the kitchen. The four nerds hand out slices to hungry partygoers. The cavalry has arrived! Gamma Sai is handing out free pizza and it's going fast! On the Jumbotron, Gamma Sai's attendance climbs. The air horn chimes as the timer reaches zero. It's now one to two. What an unexpected blow to New Delta! Now, what's great about these 10-minute rounds, Maddie, is they allow time for each fraternity to regroup and brainstorm what their next move will be. Round four starts. In New Delta's backyard, a drunk Zippy swings his legs out of the house's third-story window. He looks like a poor man's stunt performer with a helmet, skateboarding pads, and unlit flares taped to his shoes. A zip line is attached from the house above his head to the yard down below. It runs directly over the pool. Here we go! It looks like Zippy is preparing for another one of his famous stunts. Whatever it is, he better hope it does the trick. On the Jumbotron, New Delta's attendance soars. The round has one minute left. Back in New Delta's backyard, it's packed with people. From Zippy's view, not a single blade of grass can be seen. The crowd cheers him on. Zippy lights his flares, then rockets down the zip line. As he gets closer and closer to the pool, he lets go, but he completely overshoots. Instead of the pool, he lands in a set of bushes. Oh, into the bushes he goes! The flares cause them to burst into flames. A and now there's a fire! This man is crazy! Zippy struggles to his feet, entangled in burning twigs. New Delta forever! He jumps into the pool with a sizzle. A ton of other people jump in after him. They all go bananas. On the Jumbotron, the timer hits zero and the air horn screams. The score changes to read two to two. I can't tell if that's dedication or desperation, Ryan, but those guys will do anything for a win. Round five starts. Now in Gamasai's dining room, Mark is in the middle of a stand-up routine. He wears a kilt around his invisible body while a microphone bobs up and down through the air. His bagpipes are also twisted to rest on his back. People are crammed in the corners and doorway to get a good look. Round five, and once again, Gamma Sai absolutely nails it with the ghost theme. How are they doing it? Mark speaks into his microphone. Being dead isn't all that bad. One of the best perks, you don't age. I do wish I was in better shape when I died, though. In the afterlife, Mark pulls up his kilt's waistline and tightens the kilt to show off his large belly underneath. I mean, look at that! I'm stuck with a beer gut for the rest of eternity! 
the party dies laughing. More and more people cram their way into the room to watch. On the Jumbotron, Gamma Psi's attendance builds. The timer reaches zero and the air horn roars. It's now two to three. Round six starts. Returning to New Delta's backyard, the Kid LaCroix, a well-known local artist, performs on a platform built from a scissor lift. Oh my God, they got the Kid LaCroix! This is unbelievable! The celebrity's appearance has created an overflowing rowdy mob scene. Hands bounce to his music. The Kid LaCroix motions to Zippy on the ground below to raise the lift higher. Zippy tries to push up on the control handle, but it's jammed. The lift jitters from the malfunction. The Kid LaCroix shouts down to Zippy in between his lyrics. Bring it up! Zippy shakes the handle violently as if he were trying to strangle it. It won't budge. Yo, bring it up! Zippy steps back and tries to kick the handle. Still no luck. Bring it up! Finally, with all his might, Zippy drives the handle forward. It snaps clean off the control box. The lift flings the Kid LaCroix high into the air. He screams as he flies over the crowd. On the Jumbotron, the Kid LaCroix lands with a thud behind the screen. Ouch! New Delta holds the most attendance. The air horn bellows as the timer reaches zero. It's now three to three. It's been back and forth with these two all night, Maddie. The question now is, does Gamma Psi have anything else left in the tank? Round seven starts. Moments later, Rodney and Stanley are setting up fog machines in Gamma Psi's living room. Eugene checks in with them. How we doing? Good? Just waiting on you. Eugene picks up the shortwave radio and walks over to James's DJ console. James tosses his additional clothes to the side. Just like we talked about. Right on. Eugene heads over to Jessica, who fiddles with a makeshift remote control unit. All right. On my go. You better be right about this, Chief. If we fall behind, it'll be that much harder to get back up. Don't have a cow, man. We got it handled. Eugene points towards James. In the afterlife, James lowers a knob on his DJ console. One of the records slows until it comes to a complete stop. Eugene nudges Jessica. She flips all the switches on the remote control. One by one, the array of black lights surrounding the rotating disco ball power on. Eugene nods to Rodney and Stanley. They plug in the fog machines. Thick clouds quickly cover the entire floor. James slowly raises a knob again to start up a new record. As sharp beams of black light simultaneously fill the room, the bland colors and textures of the wallpaper and flooring self-illuminate with amplified saturation. The nerds gaze at the psychedelic world in amazement. Shimmering figures appear below the disco ball and behind James's DJ console. It's the ghosts, looking like they've jumped right out of a 70s blacklight poster. Every single color on their bodies has an ultraviolet glow. Their skin, clothes, hair, everything. Waves of these colors radiate off of them as wispy fluorescent energy. Oh, Eugene, it's, it's beautiful. It's their residual energy. Everything in the house has been absorbing it for the past 40 years. As partygoers step closer to Pete and Mark's aura, the colors of their clothes begin to fluoresce, just like their surroundings. And now, so are we. Pete and Mark strike iconic disco stances. More and more people join them on the dance floor. Jessica looks to Eugene. 
I should have never doubted you. They both share bright fluorescent smiles. Outside of the Gamma Psi house, the disco ball is in full effect. Hundreds upon hundreds of moving iridescent beams shine from the windows and into the night sky. The house is a literal beacon of light. As a new anxious crowd gathers outside, fog creeps out onto the yard to greet them. Ryan, you've got to see this. Gamma Psi has decorated their entire house with what could only be glow-in-the-dark paint. This might just be what wins them the battle. On the Jumbotron, Gamma Psi's attendance skyrockets. The timer ends and the air horn shrieks. It's now three to four. Round eight starts. Over at the New Delta house, Trevor and the New Delta boys step outside as their partygoers race next door. They watch the Gamma Psi house in dismay. How the hell are we supposed to beat that? Trevor nervously checks the time on his phone when a loud truck horn spins the boys around. Trevor simpers. Two huge flatbed trucks roll down the street. One carries a track loader, the other a hydraulic excavator. The trucks come to a stop outside of the new Delta house. Trevor runs up to one of them. The demolition driver hangs out the window. Hey, you the mayor's kid? Yeah, you're two hours late. The house is over there. Get going. What are you, crazy? There's still people in there. Trevor groans. He watches the Gamma Psi house, thinking. I'll handle that. You just get ready. Trevor runs off. Moments later, Trevor swings open a large fuse box on the side of the Gamma Psi house. He's met by all kinds of fuses and switches. Trevor examines it all for a second, confused. Finally, he decides to just rip things out. He tosses fuses all over the yard around him. Inside the Gamma Psi house, the bright flourishing party comes to a dead stop when everything goes black. Oh no! We are minutes away from the end of round eight and it's lights out for Gamma Psi. Just like that, in a matter of seconds, their party is over. It doesn't take long before everyone starts to leave. Outside, the large mass of people from Gamma Psi has migrated over to New Delta. Trevor welcomes them in with a knowing grin. The air horn signals the end of round eight. Well, here we are, Ryan, the final round in Battle of the Frats. And although the score is now tied, it's hard to see Gamma Psi making any kind of comeback. The last few stragglers from the nerds party exit the Gamma Psi house. The demolition driver signals the other to start unloading. Uh, Maddie, you might want to get out of there. I think Gamma Psi's demolition is tonight. Inside Gamma Psi, with the house now empty, the nerds quickly regroup. The hell happened? Eugene frantically flips switches on the remote control. The disco ball remains dark and still. I don't know. We must have blown a fuse or something. Okay, where's the fuse box? Probably outside. Well, let's go. Even if we could get the power back on, how do we plan on filling the house again in only a couple minutes? Leave that to us. The nerds glance at the nearby radio. What? You take care of the power, we'll take care of the people, okay? Go, come on, quick. Unsure, the nerds all race outside. Moments later, Mark and James trail behind Pete in the afterlife in Gamma Psi's backyard. They're still solid looking from their most recent Van de Graaff charges. The ominous darkness looms around them. Uh, Pete? The people are out front, not the ones we want. The rope from tug-of-war still lies in the grass. 
Pete picks it up and ties it around his waist. He holds the other end out to Mark and James. They just stare at it. Don't spaz out on me again. Take it. You ain't serious. Pete impatiently drops the rope at their feet. He limbers up as he approaches the darkness. It's the final round, boys. Clock's ticking down and we need a knockout. Man, you must be tripping. We don't know what's out there. Your ass could get lost. Pete tugs at the rope, as if to say, that's what this is for. You want to put all your faith in a rope? God, no. That's why I got you two. Mark and James share a worried look. Meanwhile, on the side of the Gamma Psi house, Eugene throws open the fuse box. The nerds frown at Trevor's handiwork. They sabotaged our party. Stanley cocks his head at something by his foot. He picks up one of the disregarded fuses. They also failed to finish the job. Eugene steals the fuse from Stanley and pops it back in. He then counts out what remains. Uh, seven! We need seven more! The nerds scatter. They search the uncut grass for the rest. On the Jumbotron, the timer continues to count down. Only five minutes left. New Delta's attendance accounts for pretty much every single person who came to the event. Gamma Psi's attendance reads zero. Returning to the backyard, Mark and James have a tight grip on the rope. At the other end, Pete stands before the darkness. If I'm not back in one minute, you pull me out, got it? Mark and James regretfully nod. Pete shuts his eyes, lets out a breath, then steps right into the darkness. He disappears as it swallows him up. Mark and James ease up on the rope. They stare at the other end that pierces through the cloudy barrier. On the other side of the house, film student Maddie sits on the curb across the street. She watches the track loader roll into position in Gamma Psi's front yard. Only a couple minutes left, Ryan. Looks like New Delta might just take home another win this year. On the Jumbotron, film student Ryan isn't even listening. From his feed, he can be seen taking shots with the New Delta boys. Four minutes left on the timer. Inside New Delta, the house is packed to max capacity. Their party has gained a second wind. Trevor fills another line of shots at the bar. He takes one and raises it high above his head. To victory! The other shot glasses quickly join Trevor's in the air. Everyone cheers wildly and throws back the liquor. Now let's go watch them tear that shit down! A bunch of rowdy partygoers follow Trevor as he exits. Moments later, Trevor and the new Delta boys sit down in their front yard with other partygoers. They're ready for the show. Outside the Gamma Psi house, the excavator rolls up next to the track loader. The massive pieces of equipment blind the house with their floodlights. The two drivers hop out for a moment. They talk while pointing at areas of the house. Back at the fuse box, Eugene pops in the sixth fuse. We need one more, guys! Come on! The other nerds have given up. Their eyes linger on the inevitable defeat out front. I think it's over, Eugene. No, no. There's still time. Dude, the house is done for. Okay, besides, there's no way we could have gotten all those people back. If Pete says he's taking care of it, then he's taking care of it. We just need to get the power back on. Eugene continues to search for the last fuse. In the backyard, Mark and James shift in place, uneasy. Pete has yet to return. James softly counts to himself when Pete's end of the rope drops to the ground. The slack loosens. Mark and James gasp. They frantically reel in the rope. It slithers out from the darkness. Empty. 
The rope then drops right through James's hands too. He watches his body slowly become transparent. Oh shit. With no time to waste, Mark ditches the rope and twists the bagpipes around from his back. He plays an ugly ass song out to the darkness. But, as expected, his physical presence soon fades. The bagpipes flop to the ground. Horrified, Mark and James stare out at the swirling dark void. After a beat, something appears within the smoke, an approaching figure. Pete breaks through the barrier in a brisk walk. <laughs> it worked! Thanks for helping us out of there. On a mission, Pete continues past Mark. He watches Pete go. Us? From the darkness behind him, a large wall of obscure figures begins to emerge. With wide eyes, Mark and James quickly retreat backward. Oh, shit! Out front, the Gamasai house remains dark and empty. The demolition drivers return to their equipment. The time has come. Next door, the audience on New Delta's yard cheers with excitement. Well, I guess this is it for Gamasai. They put up a good fight. The machines begin to slowly roll forward. As Trevor chants to tear it down, something catches his eye on the Jumbotron. Gamasai's attendance changes to one, then two, then three. With increasing speed, the number quickly rises into the hundreds. The thing is, New Delta's attendance isn't dropping. Wait, hold on a second. There must be something wrong with Gamma Size plates. Their attendance is going up like crazy. Trevor staggers to his feet in disbelief. No! No! Back at the fuse box, Eugene's fingers feel something within the grass. He digs around a bit before producing the final fuse. I got it! Eugene jumps up, pops in the fuse, then flips the breaker. At that same moment, the disco ball, black lights and music finally kick on to show the entire Gamasai house full of colorful lost souls. All kinds of Native Americans, cowboys, mobsters, flappers and settlers cheer with their hands in the air like crazy college students. Outside, the trackloader and excavator screech to a halt at the suddenly packed house. The demolition drivers complain to one another with confused hand motions. Film student Maddie races into the house, followed by her camera operator. On the Jumbotron, film student Maddie's camera feed shows the wide variety of glowing lost souls. They're all dancing and having a great time. Kamasai is back up and running with a fantastic costume party! It's like these people appeared out of nowhere! Outside of New Delta, Trevor watches the party on the Jumbotron with rage in his eyes. The scoreboard's timer teases him. One minute left. Trevor stomps over to one of the demolition drivers who is already stepping down from the track loader. Don't stop! Everyone in there's a ghost! You know what? You are crazy. I'm not doing this. Then I will! Trevor shoves the driver to the ground and jumps into the track loader. He floors it towards the house. The machine suddenly lurches, stuck in place. Trevor stands and looks out in confusion. He doesn't see anything. In the afterlife, Pete, Mark and James are in front of the track loader, pushing back on its bucket. Trevor locates the speed throttle and punches it forward. The track loader finally prevails. Trevor grins with satisfaction. 
Grass digs up from the ghosts' feet as they fight to hold back the beast. They inch closer and closer to the house, and just as they're about to be pushed right through the porch, Eugene grabs Trevor and yanks him out of the cab. He pulls the keys from the ignition and hops down too. Give me the damn keys! It's over, Trevor. Trevor points to the house. No. No, that's bullshit! And you know it! Like you said, when it comes to Battle of the Frats, anything goes. Trevor snaps. He grabs Eugene by the shirt, ready to beat him to a pulp. Surprisingly, Eugene does the same. He's not backing down this time. Just as the two boys cock back their arms, an air horn blares. It instantly freezes them. Trevor peers over his shoulder at the Jumbotron. The round has ended, and the score changes for the final time. It reads four to five. Gamma Psi has won. It's over. Eugene respectively releases Trevor's hold. There's nothing you can do now but let it go. It takes a moment for Trevor to realize that he lost. Still stunned, he finally backs away to the new Delta house. Moments later, the Gamma Psi house is now full of lost souls and party-goers. The Disco Balls effect makes them one and the same. The referee stands with the nerds and ghosts. He holds up the championship belt for all to see. And your winner! After a four-decade-long hiatus... Gamma Psi! The entire party cheers in approval. The referee offers the belt to Eugene. He considers the trophy for a moment. Eugene then looks at Pete. He steps aside and motions to the belt with a nod. It's all yours. Pete steps up to the ref with a sparkle in his eyes. He takes the belt and admires it with a weightless gaze. Finally, after 46 long years, Pete secures the belt around his waist. His ultraviolet appearance dissipates as a peaceful wave of visible energy overcomes him. Pete completely manifests as a normal human being. Everyone peers at the party around them in amazement. Mark, James, and the rest of the lost souls manifest as well. What's going on? They're ready to go. One by one, the lost souls vanish as tranquil, gorgeous lights. They all leave with thankful smiles. Pete turns to Mark and James. They too are giddy with anxious grins. Well, boys, what do you say we blow this popsicle stand? Mark and James exchange a funny look. Man, we thought you'd never ask. Pete then nods to Mark. Go ahead, Pied Piper, play us out. Mark smirks and steps toward the foyer. He turns to play the nerds a farewell tune on his bagpipes. As he plays, Mark backs away into an invisible paradise. He disappears. The bagpipes flop to the floor. Pete rolls his eyes, relieved. Oh, thank God he couldn't take those with him. The nerds chuckle. Now it's James's turn. With a closed fist, he lightly pounds Pete's arm. He then turns to the nerds. He puts his hands together and bows at them as he backs into the foyer. The pearly gates welcome James in. All that's left is Pete. He takes off the championship belt and stares at it. He grins, then peers up to observe the nerds. As president of Gamma Psi, I welcome you nerds as honorary members. Make us proud. The nerds happily nod. Pete hands the belt off to Eugene. Thanks for saving our souls, chief. Guess you owe me one. Pete laughs and holds out a hand. 
Eugene shakes it with gratitude. I'll catch you on the flip side. Pete waves goodbye to the other nerds before closing his eyes. He inhales, ready to go. When? Miller? The surrounding crowd parts to reveal Mr. Gibson. A weight has clearly been lifted from his shoulders. Just as he did all those years ago, Pete jokingly looks Mr. Gibson over. Not bad. For 60. Mr. Gibson cracks a smile. What are you up to? Ran out of party supplies. Mr. Gibson shakes his head with a chuckle. He pulls Pete in for a macho hug. Do you know how much a pain in my ass you boys have been? And yet, all these years, you kept us alive. <laughs> what are best friends for? Pete smiles. He puts a hand on Mr. Gibson's shoulder. I can't thank you enough, Gibbs. Truly. Mr. Gibson squeezes Pete's hand. He gives Pete a reluctant nod. Go on. Get out of here. Pete takes a few steps back. The soothing reach of heaven begins to fade him away. The nerds watch the euphoric moment. Jessica grips Eugene's arm. We actually did it! Mr. Gibson's face suddenly falls, sporting the same concerned look he had the last time he let Pete go. Hey. Pete gives Mr. Gibson a warm, knowing smile. I got this. And with that, Pete's beautiful sunset figure disappears. The ghosts have moved on. The music from James's DJ console has come to an end. The needles scratch against their records. The remaining partygoers stare with their jaws on the floor. They can't believe what just happened. That was awesome! <laughs> the entire party goes absolutely crazy. Stanley races over to the DJ console and starts the music back up. The psychedelic party continues. Later that night, Jessica stands smiling at a window in the living room. The bustling party plays on behind her. Through the window, she watches Mr. Gibson offer Eugene a check by his truck. Eugene accepts the payment with a strong handshake. Moments later, Jessica greets Eugene as he steps back inside. The two of them embrace in a celebratory hug. We then get a view of Gamma Psi from outside, as the rockin' party lives on throughout the night. Fade to black. The next day, Eugene's Jeep ambles into his house's driveway. Eugene kills the ignition, but remains seated. He fills his lungs to their fullest. One battle left. In the kitchen, Mr. Erickson sits at the table. A hot, untouched cup of coffee steams in front of him. Finally, Eugene shuffles in with his duffel bag and box of equipment. All right, I know you're mad, but just let me show you what I can do. Eugene sets his box down next to the cup of coffee. Mr. Erickson immediately stands. He doesn't even bother looking. It's junk, Eugene. That's all it is. Junk? Dad, through low frequencies, I can actually communicate with spirits like it's a phone call. Eugene shoves a hand in his pocket to fish for something. Look, here, I even got paid. I don't care. I don't care. You lied to me. I had to. You would have never let me do this. That's I not how I raised you. Why won't you let me do what I want to do with my life? Because it's ridiculous, Eugene. It's all in your head. You might think there's something out there, but there's not. There is, if you would just listen to me. When you die, you're gone. That's it. And I will not just stand by and watch you throw your life away chasing this stupid obsession. Eugene's face tightens. He storms out of the kitchen, grabbing his duffel bag along the way. 
the box of equipment is left behind. Mr. Erickson lets out a remorseful sigh. He dumps his entire cup of coffee down the sink, then returns to the table. He stares into the open box for a beat. He takes out Eugene's broken UV goggles, inspecting them with a furrowed brow. He sets them aside on the table. Next, he brings out the shortwave radio. He sinks a bit, a look in his eye. If only it were possible. His finger runs along the power switch. He flicks it on. The radio screams with static. Mr. Erickson looks puzzled as it becomes more and more intense. Meanwhile, Eugene shoves shirts into a dresser from his duffel bag. His bedroom door stands ajar. It slowly opens. Mr. Erickson stands in the doorway, senseless, holding the shortwave radio. The radio now produces a tornado of interference. Eugene continues unpacking. Oh, did I forget my junk? There's no answer. Eugene finally turns. Tears stream down Mr. Erickson's face. Dad, what's wrong? Mr. Erickson peers down at the radio in his hands. Eugene? Eugene freezes, unsure of what he just heard. M Mom? Mrs. Erickson's voice swims in the static, a sense of distance. I'm here, sweetheart. Eugene chokes up, his eyes fill with tears. Mr. Erickson steps deeper into the room. He takes a seat on Eugene's bed, still speechless. Eugene joins him, racing with emotions, juggling tears. Where do I start? Are you alright, Mom? Yes, Eugene. I'm just fine. I've missed you so much. I know, honey. I'm sorry it's been so hard. But everything you've been through has shaped you into such an amazing young man. You've found a path that is clearly your destiny. And I could not be more proud. I never thought I'd hear you say that. There's a brief moment of radio silence. Can you see it now, Tim? Mr. Erickson drapes an arm around Eugene. I can. He's going to change so many lives. Eugene smiles, comforted by his father's blessing. The frequency becomes overpowered by even more static. Mrs. Erickson's voice barely pokes in and out. I love you, boys. So much. We love you too, Mom. Remember, it's never goodbye. I'll always be with you. Every step of the way. I know. Eugene listens for more, but the radio produces nothing but static. Eugene lowers his head. He pinches his eyes shut to hold back his tears. As Mr. Erickson and Eugene silently listen to the ocean of interference, the static flutters one last time. Eugene? Eugene's head springs back up. I'm here. I almost forgot. Pete said the two of you are even now. Mrs. Erickson's voice finally slips away. Eugene's mouth hangs open. He chuckles under his breath. Pete set this whole thing up for him. Mr. Erickson clicks off the radio. He looks at Eugene like never before, understanding, proud. He wraps Eugene up in a hug. Six months later, Rodney's delivery van drives down Frat Row, only it no longer bears the clown branding. 
Eternity Fraternity Paranormal Investigators is now printed on the side. Numerous people wave at the van as it passes. The van turns into the Gamasai driveway. The house has been completely renovated. It looks better than ever. Just then, the front door opens and Jessica steps out. She shouts back into the house. Eugene! Come on, we can't show up to a four o'clock at five! Let's go! Coming! Jessica steps off the porch and climbs into the waiting van. Eugene finally exits the house and closes the door behind him. We hold on the door for a beat as Eugene skips off and gets in the van. Finally, we fade out. The end. <laughs>